What's going on, guys? Dustin with the LFG 1904 show. Proud to announce our partnership with Law Tigers. If you have been in a motorcycle accident, let's get you the compensation you deserve today and get you back on the road. Go ahead and call this number, 858-306-1986. Once again, that number is 858-306-1986. Law Tigers, nationwide, doesn't matter where you're at. Call that number, LFG. Welcome to LFG 1904 Show. My name is Graf, and I am joined by... Robert Cheek. Let's go. So you uh, had initially asked me, what am I doing now that I don't work at the dealership? So um, I was working here, and they had promised me something, and that didn't come to be true. Yeah. And, uh, but they had promised me money, and that was true. So I rode that out, and then I went and worked at Sturgis. When I came back, they had decided that they did not approve my Sturgis trip and let me go, and I immediately went back to Cadillac where I was at. But then a year later... Oh, that's right. You got some car sales yep. background. I car forgot. sales is my initial... I, I sold cars before I sold bikes. Yeah. And then come June of 22, I made the conscious decision to, that I was going to start a screen printing shop with Dustin. And I was I had the opportunity to travel around and do this DJ thing. And I've been doing that for the last year. Oh, yeah. That's right. I've been seeing some of that. Did it last night and the night before with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did country night on Friday. In San Diego, and that was fucking awesome. And then last night I did an emo night at House of Blues Anaheim, and it was like fifteen hundred people. Yeah, by the time I got into San Diego last night, I was I was ready to be in the room. Where'd you stay? I got you recommended a couple spots, and I I went I just went to Encinita and found, <sighs> found a place. Love Encinita. It was uh it was expensive, but I like I told you when I started this trip, I had set aside money to I want to stay in nice places. Yeah. I want to try to make the best of this trip. It's this will be the this will be the longest solo trip I've done um, by myself. I've done a couple small solo trips, but never to this extent. And it started with you know our conversation of coming on here and sharing my story, and I was like, screw it, I'll just make a trip out of it. And halfway here, I already decided I've got the time off of work. Which is weird because I just started a new job. <laughs> like during my new job interview, I was like, I will definitely come and take this position, but I've got a bike trip planned in, in the beginning of August that's non negotiable. And they were like, no worries. And I was going to try to start the job after my trip. Uh, but they wanted me to come in for some training, and that's what we did. But in halfway here, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to, when I leave San Diego, I'm going to jam up and catch the corner of Nevada and cut over Utah, Colorado, Kansas, and then come straight down in Oklahoma back into Texas instead of just going straight home. Right. Through the desert again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that taking, what is it, either the 40 all the way over or you could take the 10. Yeah. You know, I'm super guilty of uh, nowadays that we have technology of fucking GPS just plug it in the destination. I plug it going. in, and I just, when it tells me to turn, I turn. You know what I mean? Like, I I had some friends I visited while I've been here, and they're like, what, which way did you come in? I'm like, I don't fucking know. The, the west way. The, the GPS west. way. <laughs> yeah. You know, m- when I left when I left New Braunfels and headed up north, I went to Albuquerque first. Oh, God. That was the hottest part of this trip. After I left Albuquerque, the weather's been great. Like, the whole time before I left with this trip, I kept telling everyone, like, oh, it's going to suck. I got to cross the desert. You know, it's going to be fucking hot. Back home in Texas, it's hot as 
fucking balls right now. It's yeah. insane down there. And y'all, um, y'all have humidity in we your have, brothels? You can walk outside and smack the humidity in the face. <laughs> I, I ain't Ugh. even joking. Is it's, it closer to the Gulf, or is it, is it on the, like, the, the peninsula um, that swings down in Texas? I wouldn't say I'm close to the Gulf. Like, for me to go down to the coast, it's, it's a three- to four-hour drive. So I'm not super close to it, but close enough that we get the humidity down there. It's just blowing off the water. Dude, yeah. <laughs> so how has soloing been in comparison? Because you've obviously done some big rips with a pack, right? I've done some travel with some other friends of mine. Um, and like I said, I've done some solo small trips, but nothing like this one. Um, dude, I, it, it's a, it's good for the soul, I think. Like, and it, and it, it's funny. I've heard, I've heard Jace talk about this on his podcast before. Like your first day when you're out, you know, your, your mind's going through all this stuff of, is everything set up at home? Is everything set up at work? Is all the, and then it's the second day when you start not really caring about none of that and like really getting in your, into your music and into your thoughts and my ride from Albuquerque to, I went to Mesa, Arizona first, uh, to try to see our friend Chooch and, uh, Dude, that ride from Albuquerque to Mesa was fucking phenomenal. Um, it went from desert to pines, like, in the matter of, like, a 30-mile a 30 mi- 30 little window. Like, I was, like, I was looking behind me, and I was, like, wow, it's fucking desert, and right in front of me is pines. And it was big sweeper, like, banked curves, dude. It was so bitching. Hell, yeah. And, and nobody's out there. Like, I was fucking ripping through there. And <laughs> I bet. And, and, man, it was fun. It was a fun ride. Um, then once I got, once I got into Arizona, I went and saw my, I've got, I've only got one blood cousin that, that I still know of. Um, he's in Phoenix cause I was born in Phoenix. Um, but I left there when I was like three years old and went to South Texas cause we were trying to, we'll get into that in a little while, but we were trying to, my mom was trying to get away from a lifestyle, you know, she was. She was getting into heroin and shit like that in fucking Arizona and, and running around the motorcycle culture, and and we need to get away, and Texas is where it took us. But uh, So I wanted to try to spend a little more time in, in Arizona because some of my earliest memories are from there. and uh, But I just kind of like, man, I, I kept on wanting to try to keep moving, and, and I, I wanted to visit some friends on this trip as well. I had... I visited two friends today in San Diego. One guy from high school that I haven't seen in probably 27 fucking years. Holy shit. Yeah, he saw, you know, the power of social media, man. Like, everybody always talks about this, how social media can be fucking negative. But, dude, it, it's been a positive in my life. You know, it, it's all of what you what you use it for. It's a tool. That and part. You can use it for the negative or you can use it for the positive. And. Because of social media, this dude that I I used to fucking ride skateboards and BMX bikes with in high school, like, hit me up. He's like, dude, I'm in San Diego. And I was like, fucking badass. I just left his house right before I came here. Hell yeah. Um, Got to go see my buddy Jesse that lives. And he's a guy that I, I met through. He was down in Texas at a motorcycle event randomly years ago. And we just kind of became friends and always stayed friends. And and uh, so I got to go see him and his new daughter that he just had and, and check out his house and and uh this whole trip man it's been it's been fun the uh you were on the move yesterday too i was on the move yesterday dude you were uh, up and about so yeah, yesterday yeah you ended up in encino one saw buddy so 
I went to Long Beach and hung out with Oliver from the Cut Rate, which is a, a guy that I've become friends with over the course of, you know, and it's because of social media. He buys and sells just like I do, and, and uh, he's he's – He's bought some parts from me over some time, and, and we met each other in person at Born Free in Texas last year. Um, he's coming back this year. He was he was down there when I had my little shop down there for a little while and came down and bought some parts from me, and I finally got to come and spend a day and, and see his shop and, and his environment. Super rad spot, man, like shop with living quarters, like <laughs> my dream setup. Yeah, was that you were telling me earlier. Like, and <laughs> while I was there, um, I've got a good friend of mine that, that uh he's he's kind of a guy that whenever I got into what I do for a living I'm a I'm a union pipe fitter by trade okay and a pipe welder and um when I got in the trade because of motorcycles um me and this guy hit it off real strong cuz he rides motorcycles and he kind of took me under his wing and showed me some things, you know, and in in some of those environments, those trade environments, sometimes in journeymen, they don't they don't want to give away their secrets because they think you're going to take their job. Right. And this guy just from the get go, I got I got a job in this fab shop pretty quickly. And and uh, he kind of took me under his wing and like started coaching me on. on I, I've been I had had some welding skills before that, but not welding on pipe and and uh every pipe welder will tell you that welding pipe is hard what's the difference pipes round it's a forever changing surface okay it, and you're talking about mig welding where it's like feeding all all kinds of any whether it's tig stick or mig welding welding pipe is always harder than it is welding flat steel got it because flat steel you can you can dictate whether it's going to be flat or vertical or horizontal whereas pipe it's round. It's forever changing surface is the easiest way to explain it. And it's you're you, rolling around the whole yes, time. Yes. And you have to, you have to manipulate things in different directions as you're going around that. And this guy started coaching me pretty quickly because he saw I had some drive and, uh, over the, so now, now as of today, I've worked with him at two different companies for, I think going on like 15 years. Damn. And over the 15 years, uh, uh, over the course of some time, I've gradually watched him and his wife dig into some alcohol problems. And uh, really good people. Um, then he he had an accident on one of our jobs, fell off a ladder, destroyed his shoulder, like, to the point where his welding days were done. Fuck. Motorcycle riding days were done. Um, I picked up both his motorcycles for him, sold them both, because his shoulders just screwed. And... He finally got to a point within his his addiction that he needed help. And he reached out to me asking if I knew where any where any kind of um treatment centers were in Texas and, and uh the different like I know you guys and most of the people you have on here come through some kind of AA background and that's what's I, I did not do that. Um I got sober on my own and so I, I didn't have any kind of help. I didn't have any information for him. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know of treatment centers. I didn't do that, you know. Um, and it was weird because it's I, after over the time of listening to y'all's podcast, I've heard a lot of people promote some of the treatment centers in Southern California. Um, 
So through the internet, he was like, look, I found, and when he first reached out to me, he was reaching out and he was only talking about sending his wife. He wasn't owning, yeah. Yeah. he wasn't owning the we shit yet. her help. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. good over here, but she yes. needs help. Oh, of course. Yeah. We all know we've been there. And, uh, man, it was, he, he, he just kept on like, yeah, fine. we need to send her. We need to send her. And, and finally he's like, okay, we found a place for her. She's going to Southern California to this place called the Discovery House. And, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure I've heard some of your guests speak about the Discovery House. Yeah, I've heard of it. Well, that was a, that was a Thursday. And on a Friday, my boss, my immediate boss at my job shows up out to this job site I'm at. And we're talking and we're talking about James and, uh, we both decided, we're like, look, we're not really doing him any justice as friends if we don't tell him that he needs to go get help too. He needs to back his shit as well. Right. <laughs> and so, and you know, we kind of just said it like in small conversation and I didn't say that I was going to reach out to him and my buddy, my immediate boss, Chris, um, he's a good friend of mine as well. He, he didn't say he was going to reach out to him, but that evening we both sent text messages to him that were very parallel, you know, like we, we know like, and because I'm a sober guy, he don't really ever discuss his drinking stuff around me. Right. And so when I, I put this message out there and I said, look, dude, um, if you think that your wife is going to go there and she's going to get this help and she's going to come home and she's going to be successful and you're going to still do what you're doing, it's not going to work. It's just not going to. Um, he didn't answer me. And well, Chris had sent the same message and didn't get no answer either. Well, then that Monday over the weekend, he said he sat at home and he drank and he drank and he drank and he was that, like sat by a mirror and was looking in the mirror and was just like, wow, man, I'm a shadow of the man I used to be. And these guys are right. And that Monday he called, he texted me and said, y'all are right. You and Chris are right. I need to get help too. And I've called them. They're sending me. I got a plane ticket for this Thursday. Well, I knew it was somewhere in Southern California, but I didn't know exactly where. Right. Well, when I was over at Oliver's shop, the cut rate, I started messaging him. Hey, where are you? You know, like, whereabouts in Southern California are you? And, and uh, he was he was in Encino. And it was like an hour from where I was at. Perfect. I was like, dude, um, you know, like, uh, can we get together? Like, I don't know what the, can you have visitors or whatever? And. He's like, actually, oddly enough, today I have like a pass where I can get out. So yeah, let's get together. So I went, I went and got a hotel room in Long Beach. The next day, he took an Uber to me where I was at, and we were, you know, we didn't, neither one of us are from there, so we didn't really know what the fuck we're gonna do with the day. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I had seen, um, I knew that Roland Sands place was was in uh, Long Beach. Yeah, and uh, so we were kind of like goofing around, walking up and down the street, trying to find somewhere to eat, you know, or something. And I was like, you know what? Let's take an Uber and let's go check out Roland Sands place. You know, I, online it shows like there's a bunch of motorcycles like on display and shit in there and uh, some race bike stuff. And, and he was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. So we call Uber. We take an Uber over there. Well, we get there and, and the gate's open, but there's no kind of cars or nothing in the parking lot. 
But there's a sign for a barbershop that's around the corner from it. So we just follow this sign where it's telling us to go to the entrance. And we walk in there, and there's a guy in a barber's chair sitting, playing on his phone, and there's a guy eating a fucking ham sandwich. Mm -hmm. And you can see all of Roland's bikes and shit in there. And and I guess because I had, like, motorcycle hat and shit on. The guy was like, hey, y'all know that we're closed today, right? And I was like, no. I mean, online it said you were open, so that's why we came. And... And uh, he's like, yeah, no, we're closed today. Um, and I was like, well, you know, that, that sucks. I'm, I'm, we're from Texas, and we're just kind of in the area. was looking for something to do, and we, we caught an Uber over here from the hotel room. And he was like, well, fuck, if y'all are from Texas, I mean, let's, let's, let's do it then, you know? And Hell yeah. Dude, we got the coolest fucking behind-the-scenes tour. It, that dude was so – and I, don't, I can't even remember his name. But that dude was so rad to us. And and uh, he's like, y'all want to see some race bikes and shit? I was like, fuck yeah, that's <laughs> fuck exactly yeah, what I want to see, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah, Fucking dude. motorcycles, dude, you know? And and uh, he took us in the back, man, showed us. I mean, these are race bikes that just came from a race. Indians, you know, the, the, the bagger that they do, the bagger racing league is in there with the motor out of it. Like release motor mounts and shit. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it was so rad, and and we got the and this was the dude that when Roland Sands bought this building, he built the building out like all the metal work that's in there. He did all the really rad architectural stuff that he did in there, and so he got to show off his work too. But man, we were I mean we were there for a good fucking two hours. Just Hell yeah, straight up tour. You know the personal tour got. Gave us some hats, like, and and when we walked out of there, you know, my buddy was like, dude, I fucking, like, I needed that. Like, you know, he need, he he's at that point. He's Speaking he's, of which, how long has he been here at this point? Uh, he's, yesterday was my 16th year, and yesterday was his 30th day. No shit. Yeah. 30 days, how's he look? Dude, um, it's funny. I sent a picture of him to my buddy Chris that I worked with, that, the, the guy that I told you to send a text message to him at the same time. And he's like, wow, he looks good. And I was like, he he sounds like when you talk to him, he sounds clear. Uh, and only 30 days in, it's it's amazing what that short amount of time can do to somebody. Oh, my God. It's, you know. Getting all I, fucked up thinking about it. I'm like, God, 30 yeah. days, dude. Like, yeah. especially if this guy's been doing this for who knows how long, you know? it's I know for sure. Um, it's funny, but before he went to treatment, I had a conversation with his son because uh, – before he went to treatment, he had gotten an email from our from one of our higher ups at the company we work for, and it made him feel like when he got back he wasn't gonna have a job. And uh, I, I even myself like for a minute like because I I had put my two weeks in at that company. I I just started a new job a week before I came on this trip, and uh, I've, I finally got an office job, and I'm I'm getting trained to learn how to how to build piping systems in a 3D world. Oh, shit, like AutoCAD? Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Fucking information overload for me because I can build that shit out in the field. And, I I mean, I can't. When I interviewed for the job, I told them, I was like, I I can't even send a fucking email. (laughs) But the the head dude of that department was like, actually, I like that you don't have any computer skills because I can train you the way that we want you to do it. And uh, But, yeah, so before, I had already put my two weeks in and – the, the company I was working for sold to another company. And so the new people that were in charge, I don't, I didn't know them. And 
one of those guys had sent an email to James and it made him think that when he got back, he wasn't going to have a job. And it, and it, it rubbed me real wrong. Um, because through the conversations that me and him were having, like I could tell that his head was, you know, like you've been through addiction, you've, you've been around enough people. You can tell when someone's ready, like through their conversation, you know, he's, he was now speaking, like telling me vulnerable things that no man wants to say, like telling me that he's been lying to us for years, even though we knew he was, everybody knew, you know, it's different for that person to come through. Sure. And I remember when I was going through that transition and like owning my truth of like, I was a fucking piece of shit, you know, and that sucks. That sucks to look in the mirror and say that. Yeah. Um, Makes it real. Yes. And he was doing that. And that's when I was like, okay, you're fucking ready. Like that's, you know, the whole world can tell you you're being a fuck up, but you ain't going to change until you're ready. Right. And, and, uh, that I even went through this like moment in time where I was like, I wanted to go to the fucking office and go, who said this? Dude, I, I knew who said it. I knew who it was. I saw the email. And I wanted to sweep this motherfucker's desk, you know, like I was pissed. Yeah. Because now his head went back into like not f- going to treatment and focusing on him. It went into like, fuck, man, I, I don't have a job when I get back. And he called me numerous times that day and he was just getting drunker and drunker and drunker. And he would not stop talking about that email. Like, no, dude, I need your head to be, forget these outside distractions and go over here and focus on you, you yeah. know, and focus on your fucking treatment. Try to go get this information and, and utilize it. Yeah, Whether you have a job or not, you're still going to have this problem. Yeah. A and bigger problem. Then his, out of the blue, his son calls me. And his son's like in his young 20s, still at that age where he's, you know, ego-driven. And and uh, he calls me. And, and his kids, you know, I, I've watched them grow up over the years. And, and they've always called me Mr. Robert. <laughs> and and uh, he, he, he calls me and he's like, hey, Mr. Robert, it, it, it's Garrett Brooks. I, I said, yeah, I know your number's saved to my phone. What's <laughs> up, Garrett? You're like, I've talked to him many times over the years. Oh, I just want to know if, uh, do you know what time that, that president gets over there to that company? And yeah, I was like, no, I don't know what time he gets there in the morning. I said, to, to be honest, it's new ownership over there, and I don't even know what the new owner looks like. Um, I was like, well, why? He's like, ah, and just as, as nice <laughs> as could be, he's like, I, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to knock his teeth out. And I was like, Whoa, dude. That is some Texas shit if That's, I ever heard. It, it, it is, dude. And I fucking love Texas. Yes. There is, like, the biggest egos, but the most welcoming people, and, like, the most zero bullshit. I fucking love Texas. I've dude, never had a bad time there. I have. I got a funny story about that. About Because Texans are. Like, that. they'll knock your fucking head off your shoulders. But call you yes sir and no sir while they're doing it. You Invite know, you to fucking Sunday dinner. Like, right, it's fucking, it's, I love it. Um, so I had to tell him I was like, man, like, I I had a meeting scheduled with this with this president of that company. I I immediately like, hey, can we have a meeting? Because I wanted to try to have him do something different outside that email and and take this man man's mind off of whether he had a job or not. And I, I I told him, I was like, I'm not here to find out if he's got a job or not. If he doesn't, that's his problem. He earned that because and his attendance sucked, you know, because of his alcohol problems. Yeah. Um, I worked with him for 14 years at two different companies, and I never in my life met a person that, that misses work the way he did. 
And uh, yeah, his his son straight up was gonna go over there and and go knock this dude out. And I'm like, no, dude, you're gonna screw it up for me. Like, I'm trying to fix some things and trying to help your dad, and you're just added another outside distraction for him. As and because I was talking to him on speakerphone, well, his dad was texting me, and his dad's texting me with like, God damn it, I screwed up and told Garrett, and now he's pissed <laughs> and wants to go fight people. And I'm like, yeah, dude, no, not good. And I was like, hey, Garrett, while I'm talking to you, your dad's texting me. So he, you, yes, you added an outside distraction. So when we get off the phone, I need you to call him and tell him you're not going to go whoop this dude's ass. I was like, if, if you show up there in the morning when I'm there, me and you are going to fucking fight. Yeah, now you and I have to get down. Right, because <laughs> that you're, you're screwing up what I'm trying to do over here. Right. Well, he, and he, he did. He calmed down, and, and I put some things into perspective for him. Um, I said, you know, I don't know the extent of what you know. Your dad's already told me to quit. Um, his dad had always had this comment that he would say, like, hey, keep that under your hat. You know, when he was telling me he was going to treatment, he said, keep that under your hat. And I said, you got to stop that right now. It's got to be out in the open. You, you got to put it out in the out in the world, man, because people know, dude, whether you like it or not, they all already know. And if you're going to keep on putting shit under your hat, it, it ain't going to work. And so he was like, you're right. You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. Fuck it. Tell them all. I got a problem, and I, I'm going to go get some fucking help. Well, I told it, I told his son that. I was like, I don't know the extent of what you know about your dad's problems. I said, but I've worked with him for 14 years, and I'm going to tell you right now that if I owned a company, I wouldn't fucking hire him. And his son was like, oh, okay. That's when he realized, like, okay, maybe I don't need to go punch somebody. I mean, so fiercely maybe, loyal. <laughs> maybe this email that was sent to him Maybe my dad did earn that, you know, like, cause if he doesn't have a job, then it, dude, his attendance is what, what dictated that. And, uh, so yeah, I, t I talked him off the, off the ledge on that and, and it all, it all worked out to where, and I, I do know that when he gets back there, he does have a job. For yeah. everything that California is not what I do appreciate, cause there are states where they can do that. Like if you come to them and you're like, Hey, I need to go for treatment. Like I gotta go to rehab, whatever it is. In California, you're protected during that period of time. However, if you come back and you're still a scumbag, like they could fucking fire you. Sure. So, I just learned this too. Um, we have, and I don't know if it's through like our insurance or if it's a Texas thing, because you're saying it's a California thing. We have it's uh, a labor law. They can't fire okay. you because you go to rehab. So if you he, come to them and tell them, "Hey, I have a drug problem. I have an alcohol problem. I need to yeah. go seek treatment." And especially not. And this is if the building's on fire, you can't do this. But if prior to the building being on fire. You can fucking address that, and then they can't fire you. Yeah, so the he found out when he called that treatment place down here, the Discovery House, um, they told him that he has FMLA rights, which is Family Medical Leave Act, I think, or mm -hmm. something like that. And uh, so that he had to submit paperwork to the company saying, you know, and that, that legally they have to hold his job for him. Mm -hmm. And when they sent that email to him, they were – the email stated like, yes, um, fill out section this and that for your FMLA rights and we'll get that, you know, to you. And but then the next paragraph was like, you know that your attendance was was lacking and that when you get back, we do reserve the right to have a discussion. And so that that just sent him into a fucking spiral. Dude, yeah. bad. Yeah. Like naturally, I, as an alcoholic, that's what we like to do. Yeah, absolutely. Let's make, oh, is that a molehill there? Let's make that a mountain. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I don't even think he remembers the conversations he had with me that day. But it was every time I talked to him, he was just fucking hammered more and more. And 
when you went to sit down with the president, was it like, hey, man, please, like, don't bother my wife? He's like, dude, I just want to tell him that if he keeps fucking up, he's not going to work. Dude, here. you know, it's funny because I told, uh, there's always two sides to every story, right? And Three sides. There's your side, my side, and the truth. Sure, absolutely. And uh, it's funny because I, I, before I went into that meeting, I, I remember thinking, like, I went through this minute where I wanted to go in there and fucking sweep his desk, like I said. I was pissed. Um, but then once I sat down and talked with the man, I left there with a whole different perspective and, and, uh, and I got to hear his side and he told me once I told him that like, dude, I had his head in the right space. And when he got that email, he realized he's like, Oh dude, I didn't think about how that email would affect him. He's like, I didn't mean it in any way of like saying he does or doesn't have a job. I just meant it is his attendance was very poor. He's the, because he had that shoulder injury. They made him, they knew his welding days were done. In, in our in our local, we're local 142, right? So a, a union outfit, a combination, plumbers and pipe fitters. And in our union, he was hands down at one time one of the best combination welders that our union had. Meaning he could take any process of welding, TIG, stick, MIG, whatever, and fucking slick it up and make make great Stack work. times everywhere. And... You know, in, in the piping world, it's not just about stacking dimes. You have to meet what they call welding code. Um, shit that will pass x-ray, you know, x-ray work and visual inspections by inspectors. And you, you can make it look pretty, but that doesn't mean it's structurally sound. Got it. And he was good at, he was a very good combination code welder. Um, And once his shoulder was fucked and that company we didn't have a safety department at that company at the time because they were still small. They produced a spot, and they helped this man so much through his surgeries and shit. And whenever I went and had that meeting with that president, he was like, dude, do you understand that he's our fucking our head safety guy? And you know how many safety infractions we've had? And every time I reach out to him, he's always – like I've I've tried to have different meetings with him, and every time I get the email from him, and it says yes, I'll be there, and then the day of, he's not available for one reason or another, and I didn't, I didn't ever hear any of that part of the story, right? And I was like, oh, okay, well then if you do fire him, he fucking earned that shit. Like, hey, you know, sorry, it's time to man up and fucking yeah. take your licks. Here's the pieces. Let's put it back together. Yeah, that's a, that's a bridge to cross when you come out of treatment, anyway. Sure, absolutely. But it it. I, I had a feeling that you were like, yeah, and I sat down with this guy. Dude, it, it's all well-founded shit. Absolutely. I left there, and and the the dude who used to own that company um, is actually the guy I bought that bike from. I'm on outside. Um, I bought that bike from him. I didn't. It didn't look like that when I bought it from him, but <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He he just hit me up yesterday when I was I was sitting in a rest area, and he hit me up asking like how I was enjoying my trip, and he always appreciates that he sold the bike to somebody that's been using the fuck out of it. And when I bought it from him, I, I started changing it, making it to my taste. And uh, he's like, what are you doing on that bike now? Every time I was like, well, I'm taking some of the grandpa out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and making it mine. And uh, he still hits me up once in a while, making sure that I, and he's grateful that, that I'm out enjoying that thing. Um, he had it sitting in his garage, and he just he's like, man, hunting and fishing is my thing, and motorcycle riding is not. It's something I thought it was going to do, and I just didn't. And Happens all the time. Absolutely. And, uh, but, uh, that the guy who used to own the company, 
um, it was him and him and two other partners. And we've all said that Robert Ull was his name, and and his son Matthew was, uh, is one of the f- my favorite guys I used to work around with when I was at that company. And I always I always told everybody the best person I've ever worked for is Robert Ull. Um, hands down, he just built the company on like he still cared for the people, you know, like the men that were doing the fucking job. Whereas sometimes when you get those owners, you know, their heads are so much into the business side of things that they, they forget about that. And red and and black, you know, yeah, he didn't do that. Like I remember my first year working there and him showing up to our job site to hand us a Christmas bonus, like here and, and genuinely telling you, thank you. And, you know, grateful for what the the guys are out in the fucking heat and in in the in the mud that's doing the the work he was grateful for that and i was afraid that these new owners weren't gonna have those same morals and after having that meeting with that guy i left there like okay i think he is gonna carry that torch of like caring about his men and me sitting down with him and explaining some things and telling i you know i came to the story to the meeting with my story, my life story of my sobriety and my years of being a fuck up and, and where and how I got sober and, and the, the steps that I had to go through. And, and he learned that he, after that meeting, he was like, you know what? He goes, I learned a lot from this. He's, he's like, I, I don't know enough about my men. He goes, and, and I wish that you and I would have had this conversation two years ago when I first started here, because then maybe I could have created some kind of position that would that would work good with where you're trying to get to that I could still keep you within this company. Cause he knew I was leaving to go to this other company and I was going to the other company, not because of bad reasons, just because I, my side business does well enough that I need to have some kind of schedule. And in this other company, I was, I was in a more of a service environment where on call. Uh, yeah. And we weren't necessarily on call, but like, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of the jobs we do, it was commercial heating and air conditioning stuff and commercial buildings, especially like hospitals, hospitals broken. You got to get that shit fixed today. And then we don't care if you got to stay here for three days and not sleep. It's got to get fixed. Like right now, right? <laughs> fucking now. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and I just kind of reached a point in my career where like, I'm just over that. Like uh, if I even hear the word over time, I'm like, <laughs> I want to crawl under a rock, yeah. you know? Fuck. So I, I had to come to that meeting and bring my my story of my my years of being a fuck up and and uh, that was kind of hard to do for me, but I was glad that I did. And and I I left out of there with a whole different perspective, man. Like, okay, cool, this this place is gonna be okay, you know. I was afraid that the new owners were gonna fucking come in there and be number crunchers and forget about the men, you know. And, and at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a fucking man's man and not a company man. Yeah. And uh, people forget that, though. Like, you, what makes your company great and successful is the people on the ground floor. Oh, and yeah. And as soon as you fucking forget that, you'll very quickly realize why your company's not successful. You know? Yeah. So, man, 16 years. Congratulations. Yesterday. Man, uh, it's been a wild. It's been a wild one. And uh, uh, I'll start with the... Uh, uh, you know, I, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona and I was born. It's funny. Like I told you yesterday, I had a fucking grip of people asking if like how they could watch this. You know, I, I got, a, I got a lot of friends in the motorcycle culture in Texas and 
over the course of years, man, I've got friends all over the fucking country, and and uh, they're all like, we want to see it because when we're sitting around like telling bullshit fucking stories at, at bike events, and and I tell any shit from my youth, they're just like, what the fuck? Like, how are you even alive? You know, like, and I I grew up in the motorcycle culture. I was born into it. Um, I don't know how to not motorcycle. It, it is awesome, dude. It's it fucking feeds my soul in a way that I don't even. I, I don't know how to explain. And the motorcycles, the people that come with it, the, every aspect of it, the travel, the the creativeness that people are able to put their own twists on their bikes. And, um, you know, it's and, – and I had to – when I got sober, I had to learn how – I had to relearn how to motorcycle because – there were some years there that motorcycling consisted of it, you know, it was partying and motorcycling at the same time. But I, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and my mom, my real dad, died like two weeks before I was born. Oh fuck! Um, in a car wreck, coming home, I think from a party somewhere in Phoenix. Um, and my mom, my mom had always hung out like in the chopper scene in Phoenix, you know. It, always been real thick there um like i have some early pictures and you know what i I meant to bring my fucking i got a really rad photo album hell yeah from that my mom put together for me when i was locked up um she put it and it's like it kind of follows a timeline uh and there's some really cool early pictures in there of like she my mom always rode trikes um mom rode oh yeah yeah. my mom still has a a road king with a trike conversion in her garage right now hell yeah um but i am about to sell that bike and my dad's bike for them both they're they're at their age where they don't really ride no more um they my dad's had a shit ton of surgeries my stepdad yeah um only dad you had man yeah he's the one that he's the only one that ever did anything to earn that label right um but uh my earliest memories are in Phoenix. Uh, my earliest memories have motorcycles involved, and I have a brother and a sister. And out of my sister just started riding recently, um, but even in my young days, I've always gravitated towards motorcycles. My brother kind of gravitated towards sports, and uh, my my sister kind of did her own thing too, and. But motorcycles have always been a part of my life somewhere, and and the culture and the partying that comes in that world. Oh yeah, um, you know, from a very young age, like I, I grew up with this visually seeing people partying and having fun, and that's what they did to have fun. You know, that's what they did to be social. And um, I I also grew up in in a little bit of some outlaw culture too. And, and, uh, I think if, and some of the, some of my story, like I kind of meant to call my mom before I came here too, because I've, some of it, I can't really remember, but I'll just tell the best version of it that I do remember. And and I think if I remember, I was around three when she decided she needed to get out of Phoenix. Uh, she was, she was on and off heroin and always has had battled also pill usage, um, alcohol and, uh, so we had, it was my mom's friend, but we always called him Uncle Jake. 
and his name was Jake the Snake in the in the fucking motorcycle culture. And he wasn't he wasn't a patch member, but he was a big time hang around. Um and he lived in a fucking nineteen fifty five Bluebird bus down in Divine, Texas, which is like an hour south of San Antonio. And if I remember correctly, we were going to go down there to kind of see the area to like get the feels of oh, is this where we're gonna move? And my mom had this this Jeep Cherokee, the the big the big ones. The wagon. The wagoneer. Yeah. yeah, the wagoneer. Yeah. Right. And uh, I remember right as we got into Texas, somewhere she had blown a fucking hole in a radiator, like overheated it. Oh, God. And I remember her, and it's weird that this is a fucking memory of mine because I, I, I still have told people to do this. If, if, in, if you're in a bind and you're trying to seal a hole in a radiator, somebody, if I remember right, it was at a gas station, and they told her, put pepper and an egg in there, and it'll, it'll, it'll clog that hole up. And it allow you to hold water a little longer. So she did that, and she got us where we were going. But in the in that time, we blew the motor up in that in that vehicle. Right. So then we couldn't get back to Phoenix. Yeah, rings are done. It's uh, motor smoked. Right, motor smoked. And so she kind of was put into a position where she had to get a job down there, and she got a job at a dog grooming company. And. Later on in life, she ended up buying that gr- dog grooming company. So my mom, you know, a single mom of, of three kids, she did pretty fucking well for what she had. And fighting addiction through those years, too, you know. And uh, and I remember, like, she she kind of dated in the motorcycle community. She always flocked to that. Yeah. That's what she knows. And um, I, mom had a type. Mom <laughs> had a type. And... <laughs> And still today, my stepdad, biker, he's, he's biker, absolutely, <laughs> and and uh, so she started dating this guy Scott, um, and I, he's he's still that one guy in my memory bank where like, and I, he could be dead, I don't even have a clue, but if I found him, I would probably have to whoop his ass. No, nope, I got one of those too. His name's John. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny, dude. I just had this talk the other day, um, when when I was in Phoenix with my cousin, because he's got one too that. Did the same to his mom. Like, I, I visually watched this dude beat my mom. And when she finally got enough, and, oh, I think it's important, too, to touch on, uh, like, in those early years of us living down in Divine, Divine's a shithole. Yeah. Terrible name for a shithole city. <laughs> it is, dude. And it's it's like, it's a shithole. There's a, And it, oddly enough, there's a lot of, there's a lot of outlaw biker dudes that are kind of they kind of hide out down there yeah and there's also a lot of like uh mexican mafia that hides out down there oh shit um because it's you can get real cheap property down there um and but growing up like always on our table at our house my mom was always a heavy weed smoker and weed was always out in the open it was never hidden she didn't hide it from us not until, like, I got into my teenage years that she started hiding it from us. Because she didn't want you to steal it. Which happened <laughs> later on. Uh, and uh, I, I I remember even being young enough and asking what that was. And, and it was always the, the, we, it, it, the, the term was, don't worry about it. That's mom's and you just don't touch it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, but it was always on the coffee table, on a tray, weed, rolling papers, all that. Yeah. You know, and then always alcohol was always around too, and uh, 
I remember when she finally got enough of getting her fucking ass whooped. And she called these two outlaws that um, that she knew for a long time. That, And I, I don't even know why this one dude used to look out for her, but he did. And he, he looked out for her. And these two patch members sat in my fucking living room while they came in. They gave this guy, Scott, they said, look, and Texas style. Hey, sir, like you, you got to leave. Ain't nothing going to happen to you. But if you ever come back and contact this family again, then shit's going to happen. But as of now, like, ain't nobody, ain't nobody trying to hurt you, but you got to get your shit and you got to get out. And you have two days. We're going to sit here. And they sat in my car. Co- I remember them sitting at our table in our, in our kitchen. They didn't leave for two days. I don't think they slept for two days. <laughs> and who knows what all they were doing for two days. Right. But I just remember them being there. <coughs> and uh, he loaded his shit. On trailer, and I, dude, I, I remember my mom, without them knowing, went fucking poured sugar in the oil tank of that dude's bike. <sighs> and that was the first time me seeing it. I was like, what the fuck? And I didn't know what that, why she was doing that or what that would do. Not till later when I got into my years and became a mechanic. And I was like, that memory came up of like, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> bitch ass done <laughs> fucked his shovel head up, you know? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And, who knows, you know, whatever happened when he started that bike. We never saw that guy again, never heard from him again, nothing. Lucky him. Yeah. And uh, so she, but she, she ended up owning that dog grooming shop. She did well. And she opened up a second location at one point, did well. And then, um, then she met my dad. And if I, if I remember correctly, she met my dad from the same outlaw guy that sat in our living room. Like, he called and was like, I want to introduce you to somebody that he's, he's, he rides. He's not a club dude, but he, he's got a career, and he's a fucking good man. And, uh, and I was, I think I want to say I was like seven. And they're still together today. And, and, I, and I had some years where I was a fucking not a good kid to him, you know, because he was trying to come into my life and fucking fucking up your program, put rules down and shit <laughs> that I wasn't used to having, you know, like I kind of ran amok and did what I wanted. And, and, uh, that, that ended when we met him, but he, he moved us to San Antonio and, uh, in San Antonio, um, you know, they, they, I remember they would go to Sturgis every year. Every fucking year they would go to Sturgis, and every other year they would take the kids, and we would go to Sturgis together as a family. Then we would leave out of there, and we would go on some sort of – we were always gone for two weeks, one week in Sturgis and then a week of, like, one year we went – you know, one year we came to California and saw my Uncle Mike, and another year we we would go to see Yellowstone Park, and we would go see all the sites, just different times every time, and, and then – so the years that we would go, we would do that, and then the next year we would stay with family members or whatever, and they would just go as parents and party. But always they had these really big Sturgis survivor parties. And the fucking huge, like they would shut down the street and get all the neighbors involved, and it would be a big block party, and there would be fucking bikes all up and down the street. In Texas? Oh, yeah. Oh, in in yeah. San Antonio, at, at the neighborhood that, where I grew up. And... Even not just a Sturgis Survivor Party. Like, if my parents threw parties, they were fucking parties. Hell yeah. And 
but my dad was a had a very good career path and was responsible. Like he could party, and then he'd go back to work, and he would not party. The switch, right, right, and like, like a normal people should do. Yeah. I, I guess that's what I'll <laughs> yeah. call it. You know, yeah. Like, what normal people do? <coughs> yeah, never uh, heard of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always tell people I don't like when it comes to anything that I do. I don't have an off switch. I don't. I can't off. Yeah. You know, I'm fucking on. Yeah. And if I'm drinking, I'm fucking drinking. If I'm fucking snorting meth, I'm snorting fucking <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> and we're up for fucking three weeks straight. So that I can drink more. Right. Right. And, uh, dude, um, I, in, in a, at an early age, I started, like, snooping through my parents' shit and fucking found where my mom's weed was and started experimenting with that. And, uh, I remember the, I remember the first time I got drunk too. I fucking, me and my, my stepsister, we got drunk in her room at one of my parents' big parties because when they were partying, they were always in the backyard partying down and they wouldn't know what the fuck was happening upstairs. And so I got drunk and I fell and I fucking hit my head and had a big old fucking knot on my head. And my sister like panicked and thought that maybe I need to go to the hospital. So now she went and told them like. Fucking Robert got drunk and he fucking fell and hit his head. What a snitch! Yeah, damn. So, you know that was my that was my first experience getting drunk. And the next day, um, I'll show you a picture later. I have that picture in my Instagram page where the next day we took the we took a family photo with my dad's shovel head in the front yard of the house, like Hell people yeah. fucking did back then. Hell yeah! And I'm like not smiling because <laughs> I'm I'm like first hangover. Still to this day, my dad tells the story that when he woke me up, hung over, and he made me mow the yard, and he swears that he thinks I hit a rock on purpose because it fucked the mower up where I didn't have to finish mowing. <laughs> and I didn't do that on purpose. I just I had my fucking head down because I was so hung over I couldn't pick my fucking head up. What were you all drinking? Uh, I don't remember. Wasn't beer. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, I just remember that I... I it rocked you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then it just... Then it just went from there, man. Like, then, it, you know, I smoked pot real heavy all through my youth. Um, I was 14 years old when I got arrested my very first time with a half ounce of weed, walking the neighborhood at 2 in the morning. And that's a lot of weed for a fucking kid. Yeah. You know, I got a kid now today that's 23, and I remember when he was 14 thinking, if that motherfucker got caught with a half ounce of weed right now, I would be, I would be fucking livid. We'd have know? some problems. Yeah, like... I'd feel like a failure as a parent for one and and uh all of, all of my actions I don't ever I don't ever try to like do the uh yeah was I a product of my environment sure but at the end of the day I'm still fucking I'm still a a person that owns my actions and I could have made better choices I don't like to do the old like I learned it from my parents you know bullshit um I was definitely a product of my environment but that was a lot of people's environments back then. You know, kids aren't raised today the way that we were raised then. And and, and some for the better, some for the worse. You know, like, I, I didn't grow up with video games, so I couldn't sit around and play video games. We did things. Like, we created our own fun. Yeah. We built ramps and shit. And I fucked around in the woods. Yes, <laughs> yes, created your own fun. and But that also created where, like, I remember, dude, we would fucking ride the 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 bus clear across town to go ride skateboards at this high school 
like my parents would have no clue where the fuck I was throughout the day. Not, and we would be all over San Antonio's big. And we would be all over, you know, at young ages. I was the same way. And like if I wanted to go do something, like where I grew up in Virginia, like if I wanted to go to the mall, I had to ride my fucking Huffy there. Yeah. And I had to walk the Huffy up the train tracks to like take the shortcut, cut a half mile out of it. But it was like like a ten mile ride to yes. get to the fucking mall if I wanted to go hang out with my friends. You know, that was that was the get down. Yeah, and you know, dude, it's funny because um, I still I still go to the New Braunfels is only about fifteen minutes away from where I I grew up. Oh, okay. So I'm not real far from where I grew up, and when I go to that area, the neighborhood where I grew up at, there was a fucking BMX track that was easily five or six miles from my house, and I used to fucking pedal to the BMX track, race BMX. And then pedal home. And, like, I, I I just couldn't imagine my kid doing that when he was that age. Yeah. Like, I would never allow that. Really? Fuck no. Why do you think so? Because mm. I, I feel the same way, right? Like, Man. I couldn't imagine letting my kids go and do some of the shit I did. I just think it's a different world, you know? like Or am I creating that in my head? I, is it really? A, it, I mean, it is. I mean, there's some sick fucks out there. There's some sick fucks out there. And there's... Mm. That's I don't what know. needs to change because we can't keep these kids. I don't. I don't want my kids to be the iPad kids. I don't want them. Yeah, to but there also wasn't as many fucking dude. Like when I, I remember we used to pedal down the street, down the main streets, and there wasn't as many cars and that, shit. You know, nowadays like nobody's paying attention. No. Yeah. I it, I think that's another. Uh, my kid getting smoked by a car. Yes. I'm more worried about that. Yes. Like, the world's crowded these days. Yeah. You know, it, I. And I, I feel old saying it, but I remember where I grew up, like, I rem- there was never traffic. <laughs> There's not a spot in San Antonio you can't go to now that's not traffic. Oh, and unfortunately, we can't fucking split lanes legally there like y'all can't here. <sighs> You've been enjoying that? Dude. Oh taking boy. full advantage. <laughs> you know, just so you know, Arizona, it's legal too. Yesterday, bro. Yesterday, coming from Long Beach to San Diego, there was some fucking traffic. Oh. And, and I was splitting lanes. But then I saw three bikes go zipping by me, and I got fucking behind them dudes. And now, because now they were creating the gap already. Yep. And, dude, traffic was stand stand still, and we were rolling at 70. Yep. And going 70 in between cars that are at a dead stop is fucking intimidating. It is. But it was, it, it also makes sense, though. Like, it works because the drivers know that it's happening, and the, the lanes here are wider. Are um, they wider? Absolutely. I will say this. Californians are pretty cool in the fact that, like, a lot of people get the fuck out of it. Sure. Way. Some won't. But Texas, they'll, they won't, they don't like that shit. Texas, they will fucking pull a car in front of you. Really? Yes, they, they Arizona can it. be that way. So, so Arizona and Montana, it's legal now, too. But I, people are so, like, butthurt about it. It's like, dude, like, let me have my fucking fun. Dude. Like, I'm, uh, I, I'm choosing, you know? Yeah, we, uh, it was. I can't imagine riding without it. Yeah, because that's I've I've done all of my motorcycling here in California, and like just the way we ride, or the friends that I have who have been riding for a lot longer than I have, yeah. like if I'm not doing a hundred, hundred and ten, I'm not oh, ha- yeah. I'm not enjoying myself. Like my homies that have choppers, I he's on a fucking five speed Evo Sporty, and he's fucking maxed out at seventy miles an hour. Oh, yeah. I can't fucking. I'm like, bro. Yeah, I'll be back. Okay, I'll I'm I'm gonna go and then I'm gonna slow down and let you catch up. When it when it comes to to travel, like. 
I've got a couple people that I really like to travel with and we've, we've narrowed it down to like, we're traveling together and these other people will meet you there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry, dude. Yeah. No offense. But if, if you're on a sports tour, I don't want to travel with you. If you're on a fucking FXR, I don't want to travel with you. And I, and I love all those bikes. Right. But I, and I've had all that, but I, when it's my travel bike, like I need to be able to do 110 and not and blow up, get 150 miles to a fucking tank. Yeah. You know, like, that's and I just, think it's cool. Yeah. That's just what I need. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm in the back of the pack for sure. Like if, if, the LFG crew, like our core group of homies is going all right. I'm in the back for sure. Yeah. Cause these dudes are doing 120, 130 blasting. And I like, I'll catch myself trying to keep up and I'm like, no, 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 no. Ride your own ride. Ride your ride. Yeah. But then when I'm fucking, when I go out with any other group of people and I'm like, fuck, like we let a ride from here to born free. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to keep it mild, like 80, 90 miles an hour. And like, we got to cook's corner and they were like, yeah, 80, 90, bro. We did yeah. 110 the whole fucking way. Yeah. I'm like, I was cruising. You know what I mean? We There's been a hundred fucking times we've done a ride, and we're like, today we're just going to ride normal. And that <laughs> never fucking happens. Yeah. One of your buddies blows past you. Yeah. Like, it's on, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Dude, coming from, when I was coming from Albuquerque to Mesa, there, and I didn't realize it was a, a, a woman driver, but she was in like a, it was like a little Jeep Patriot or something, little SUV thing. And she's fucking hauling ass. And, dude, it was like banked sweepers. And I'm rolling through this thing. And anytime I see somebody hauling ass like that, I'll just tuck behind them. Mm-hmm. And whether it works or not, I don't know. But I've, I've in my brain, I work it up that, like, they'll get the ticket and I won't. I, I say the same thing. My mother used to say that. She's like, go, rabbit, go. Yeah. I follow and, you. dude, I got behind that thing, dude. And I was fucking tripping on how they were driving that thing. Like, they were handling that. That person was handling that car. <laughs> and finally... They got up where they were going to exit, and I got next to him. I looked over, and it was it was kind of a younger girl. And I was like, "Wow, motherfucker <laughs> handled that thing!" And like, <laughs> I know how to ride, and and we were fucking rolling. Yeah. I, I was impressed Tapping by out that, that four bag. I was fucking impressed by that little thing. It was crazy. Yeah, those Patriots. I don't. My my buddy Josh, he's like fucking diehard Mopar. Yeah, I'm like yeah, but the Jeep Patriot. I always give him shit about it. Like, but I mean. Apparently it rips. Dude, she was doing every bit of 100. <laughs> oh, shit. In the corners. Like. Love it. Yeah. Just I was tripping. fucking tripping. And I know a bike could handle that corner, but I didn't think that little thing would handle that. And right. It, front wheel she drive. She stuck fucking it. Fucking four cylinder. She stuck it. It was it was impressive. So about how old are you at this point? When you, you're 14, when you get caught with a half ounce, where does things go from there? Man, from there, so. Um, and home life is good now. Mom's found a good man. Mom, He's fucking successful. Yeah, mom, mom definitely found a good man that was successful, and, and a man that, um, like I said earlier, he's he's the only person that ever earned that fucking label of being a dad to me, and and my sister, and my brother. My older brother, like when we moved out of Divine, my older brother stayed in Divine, uh, because he was only already kind of established there, football team, and he had a name there, and and uh, it's weird because the house that my mom rented, which was a fucking shithole. <laughs> Like, it was a shithole then, and, and I've been back there in the last few years, and it's like, that motherfucker's leaning on the 45 degrees, but <laughs> someone's still living in it. I don't know how. But he stayed there, and uh, and he started partying real heavy then, too, you know, but because now he's he was in high school with his own house. Damn. Renting the house that we were renting. Working, and, and playing sports, and yes, going to high school. Yes, and partying his ass off. And, and, uh. So when we came when we came to San Antonio, um, 
and then then I I started falling in kind of the footsteps of, of my parents of that partying thing and <clears throat> then in high school you know I've I've I fell in with the the fucking long hair dudes I I had a ponytail my whole life and well until I was like 17 or 18 <laughs> and I was fucking a little biker kid you know I I looked like a little biker kid fucking rings and shit, you know, like I was doing it and, and, uh, and I fell in with the dudes that you could tell smoked weed and then it, then it turned into fucking, I used to eat lots of acid and go to school and love it, dude, my fucking, I, I was friends with this buddy of mine that lived right around the corner from me, Steve Young. He was my little gangbanger buddy. He's a little Latin King, you know, and, and, uh, we would plan it. Okay, look, we both would wake up at 6 a.m. We would walk to school together, to high school. And at 6 a.m., take your acid, and then we'll walk to school. And we would take one hit and drop it on our tongue and then cut another one in half and drop a half a hit in, in both eyelids. You know, you hold your eyelid out and drop a hit in there because then it's, when you do that, it, it hits you in, in a matter of 15 minutes. Oh. And so walking to school, by the time we would get to school... We were fucking on it. Oh yeah, and <clears throat> I'll, I'll never forget the uh, our school incorporated this where they did this A B schedule, where A day you would go instead of going to eight classes all in one day, you would go to longer classes, but four on A day and a completely four different ones on B day. Yep. Well, we fucked up one time and we fucking forgot that on A day we had third period together. And I remember approaching the class and thinking, oh, fuck, Steve's in there. And now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay with walking around the halls tripping balls because nobody knows. But now when I walk in this classroom, there's somebody in there that knows. <laughs> <coughs> and I walk in this classroom, and there's the chalkboards here, and there's chairs facing this way, and then there's chairs facing the chalkboard. He's sitting this way, should be, and, and I'm sitting here where I'm facing the chalkboard, right? And when I walk in, I look over at him, and his fuck, he's locked on the chalkboard. He's fucking locked. I walk in, I sit at my desk, and I'm locked on him, and he's locked on the chalkboard. And I can't quit fucking looking at him. He can't quit looking at the chalkboard. And I'm like, fuck, man, like my fucking teacher's going to know. She's going to fucking know. And 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 I was paranoid for Steve because Steve was just like fucking. He said the chalkboard was just like bubbling. <laughs> oh, it was God. just bubbling away, and he's he couldn't get out of it. And and I couldn't quit looking at him, so I just fucking panicked and I grabbed my bag and I left class and I walked off campus. And our friend Chuck Townsend lived right across the street from our high school, and I and Chuck Townsend from like early on, I don't know how the fuck ever finagled it but from early on he was on like work release where he would go to one class or some shit and the rest of the day was on work release so he was always at home just fucking blazing up smoking pot and shit. so we would always <laughs> go over there and smoke well i fucking panicked tripped out boom i gotta go i gotta get out of here i can't fucking handle the pressure no more and so i go over to chucks and that was dude that was just one acid trip we tripped there all the fucking time like i went to school I got kicked out of out of high school at 17. I got kicked out because that now my sister was at high school. She's younger. 
I was doing nothing but partying. Mushrooms, acid, now cocaine, lots of weed. Um, then somewhere, somewhere I discovered that I was a physically allergic to something in cocaine. And I, a friend of mine had some cocaine. We fucking did some out partying on a weekend, right? And it and in, in the beginning, it was just like one of those like weekend we're gonna do a little cocaine so we can drink all all weekend or whatever, little party favor thing. Well, I did some fucking cocaine, and all of a sudden, I broke out on in hives, like, all over my back and my ass. And so, what the fuck? Like, I just thought it was that batch, you know? Like, something's wrong with that cocaine. Well, some month later, I try it again, and it happens again. Try it a third time, it happens again. And now I'm like, what the fuck? I can't go to the doctor and be like, hey, brah. to cocaine? <laughs> brah, when I do this shit, this happens. What can you do for me, you know? <laughs> Make it stop. Yes. Like, I want to party with the guys. Ugh. And I already see where this is going. This is not fucking good. Right. So that's somewhere along the fucking road. Somebody introduced me to methamphetamines. And <sighs> that is expensive. Twice as good. Yes. <laughs> and I don't get the hives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an itchy ass. Yes. Oh, my God. Is meth a big thing in Texas? Meth's a huge thing in Texas. Always has been? Yeah. But I was in it. When it was you know, Frank? When it was, yeah, when it was fucking, like, we used to joke about the ether bunny coming. The ether bunny. <laughs> yeah, bro. Like, you didn't do meth. If, you didn't do crank if you didn't, you know, real crank back in the day was, it, and, I, and I was around, like, during the beginning stages of, like, ice and shit coming into the fucking end of the world. But I was around when it was real fucking, real crank. Yeah, and, gritty. And pink. Like, that's what we, you know, when me and my buddies from back then talk about it, like, yeah, yeah, you remember that pink? Like, these fucking young kids didn't get to do that shit. And that shit was real. Like, they talk about, the, we had one of our buddies on, Joseph Durbin. He says that skinhead Nazi peanut butter crank. Ah, uh, dude. Yes. <laughs> See, you know what I, I know come exactly. Oh, my God. I know exactly. And that's, that's funny that you touch on that because, so in my high school years, um, somewhere in my high school years, like, dude, I don't I was super... I don't know if I was attracted to it or if I was good at it or I was fucking, I liked fighting and we did fuck fighting and everywhere we went, like it was on all the time. And, and I fell into the fucking punk rock fucking skinhead culture. And, uh, and you know, I have to touch on this because it's, it's funny. It's always a fucking joke amongst our group of friends and so many people in this fucking world are, are, uneducated about that culture. Yeah. They always hear the word skinhead and they instantly think the fucking shit they saw on fucking Jerry Springer of the neo-Nazis and, and American history X. Yes. And that's not, that's not at all how that culture working you know, class skinhead started in England and it was based on the working class. Yes. And, and there's a huge fucking subculture in the skinhead world of people that are, that dudes that are anti-racist skinheads. Sharps. Right, and that's the culture that I fell into. Skinheads against racial prejudice, for anybody who doesn't know. Yes, and I have, dude, I got pictures of, like, our crew. We had some races, fucking bombers and it was, you know, it was fucking white dudes, a couple Asian guys, a couple black dudes. Like, it was a mix of colored people, dude, and we fucking partied our asses off, and we would go out to these big shows, and, and, dude, that shit was fun to me, man. we go to shows, and we were fighting with the fucking white power dudes. And that shit was fucking fun. You know, that was a whole different now. And, but it also had this like, 
this camaraderie that I was used to from the motorcycle culture. You know, this the the working class also comes back in the motorcycle culture, you know. And the the fucking help your goddamn your people out, you know, your your friends, y'all y- help each other out, get through this fucking life. And I, I I've always experienced that in the motorcycle culture. And and uh that's why that culture feeds my soul. Even when I was messing around with the punk rockers and the skinheads, I still always had motorcycles. M- motorcycles have always been there. And that that fucking culture, dude, you know, that there's just fucking a lot of partying in that culture. And that was also those those people, the people that I was hanging out with were they were tr- they were more like let's drink and not do drugs, right? So then I had like a little little stint where I wasn't doing no drugs. I was just drinking, but drinking a lot. Yeah. And, well, I mean, we had fucking crager kegging, big keg ragers and fucking ridiculous fights all the time. And then it like went brawls, from. I'm sure. Dude, I took my mom. My mom went to a fucking Pennywise show with us one time because my dad worked on the railroad, right? My dad was a fucking railroad guy, so he would be gone for a month. Three, no, it, three, four days, and then he'd be okay. home. But. When my dad was gone, it was fucking, it was lawless and brawless in my house. You know, my, lawless and brawless. My, I'm taking my that. My mom, dude, my mom was like, for one, my dad would ground us and we'd be grounded for fucking three months. Like, Ugh. but as soon as that phone rang or that pager went off, we knew that, oh, my dad's going to work. Now we got three day window to fucking go do it. Because as soon as we, my, we would be looking out the curtains. Watching my dad leave. And when he would leave, my mom would be like, all right, y'all motherfucking know what time it is. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, bye. Right. Let me smoke pot and fucking do mom shit. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> off. Well, not do mom shit. <laughs> but <laughs> but she didn't, you know, she didn't want to be a mom for that time. She right. wanted to fucking party. And, and so I would be on the streets. And the fucking punk rock culture, man, like the shows, dude, that shit, I was driven to that shit. I loved it. Pennywise, what year is it? Uh, Not to date you too hard. Yeah, I mean it was fucking nineties, dude. So that that's also crazy because that's also like the transition into the straight edge period too. Maybe it was early two thousands. I don't fucking damn. But my I remember my dad was gone and my mom like every once in a while she would want to come out with me and my friends. I remember me and my buddy Nathan were fucking selling weed and my mom was like somebody that would buy weed from us. Like over the course of of my, in my youth, like my mom. My my parents started like going through my room and finding bongs and all this paraphernalia, and then so then I would get in trouble and oh yeah, and the touchback when I got arrested at fourteen. Oh yeah. When I got arrested at fourteen, I was on probation, and because I'm a minor, my fucking probation officer would come and drug test the whole house. Oh, my sister, and I remember my dad would be like, my dad would be fucking livid. He'd be looking at me like your fucking sister's in there pissing in a cup right now because of you. And then my mom, because now she's got a drug test. She can't smoke pot. Uh, like, it affected the whole fucking family. God, you burned the whole house, Yeah, dude, Robert. my mom was like, you motherfucker, you You're know? like fucking this up. You better get off this probation ASAP. Yes, yeah. So then when I, you know, fucking punk rock world, skinhead world, all that shit, dude, we're fucking fighting, running amok all over goddamn. And, and we fucking, dude, we traveled, too. Like, we would go to fucking... Houston, Dallas, go to all these big shows, and we had same as like in the motorcycle culture, dude. I had friends in all over Texas that I crashed on couches within the fucking punk rock skinhead culture. 
and party, 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 party all the fucking time, man. And then somewhere, somewhere in there, like, I, I, I just fucking started playing with meth again. And, and hold on. Uh, when do you take mom? I want to hear about the Pennywise show. So we took mom. Yeah. Mom, mom reached out to us and was like, Hey, I want to go out with y'all one night, you know? And, and we're, I was like, okay, well, we're going to a concert. Like, I don't know if you want to do that, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> and and she fucking comes to it with us to Pennywise, and she's. I remember she's sitting in the back, and she's watching us big fucking pit. I'm fucking stage diving. And then after the show, we go in the parking lot. And at some point, you know, when I first got in that culture, we were fighting all the fucking neo-Nazi dudes. Well, then somewhere in that fucking, somewhere in there, our, our friend Jamal the fucking black dude that hung out with us, skinhead, and still skinhead today. Uh, He's a fucking knucklehead. Like, that dude was a fucking one-hitter-quitter dude. That dude, you did not want to catch a hand from him. <laughs> um, He he had stirred some bullshit up with some, but there was, we were on the north side of town, so we were uh, north side crew, NSC is what, and then there was the south side crew. And they were, we were all about the same message of like fighting the fucking white power dudes but then somewhere jamal beat up one of them south side dudes at, at a bar or some shit at a concert and the next thing you know we're fighting against each other now it's becoming like real gang related kind of shit yeah and no longer fun south side dudes did a fucking drive by on my buddy's house and fucking put a bullet in his dad's ass oh um, fuck yeah and that that got real fucking crazy dude and San and, uh, Antonio, huh? Oh, dude, San Antonio fucking San Antonio gets crazy. Um, it, the back then the fucking gang violence was real crazy. Nineties, yeah, and and you know that's what attracted me to that that punk rock world was because it, it didn't it wasn't it didn't feel like gang related shit. And then it got that way. It fucking got that way, dude. And where it stabbings, shootings, all that, and getting jumped. Dude, all the time. And at, at that fucking Pennywise show, we go out in the parking lot, and my mom comes out of the fucking door, and we're in the parking lot, and I'm talking 12 guys on fucking 12 guys. I mean, big fucking parking lot fight. Cars can't get out of the parking lot. Everyone's tripping, and my mom is just like, and I remember our friend Charlie Sulphur, back before, like, rednecks wore big belt buckles. Charlie Sulphur wore a big belt buckle, and he's just fucking waylaying motherfuckers with his belt buckle. Like, that was his weapon, you know? And then we all run and get in the car. I'm telling my mom, like, you better get in the fuck car. Like, mm -hmm. cops are coming next. We're out of here, you know? And like, Cops are on the way, mom. Yeah. <laughs> so she jumps go. in the truck with us, and we all fucking bail out of there. And, and we get down the street, and it's like, it's all quiet in the car. And she's like, is this what y'all do? I'm like, yeah, we do this every weekend. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, this, this is fun. This is the get down. Right. And oh, man. That's that sounds then, so uh, I remember uh, right around that same time, before before I started dabbling in the meth, a, a good friend of ours that I had went to high school with, grew up, he had fucking, him and his girlfriend moved to uh, um, Michigan. No, Wisconsin. They had been together for many years. They fucking split up. Well, he kills himself over this relationship. And... They bring the body back down to San Antonio for his mom to have a funeral there. We go to the funeral, and I fucking get drunk like three times in one day. 
pass out, wake up, go to the fucking funeral. Like I'm, I'm just fucking medicating my pain. You know, uh, it's the first time I'd ever lost. I had been to some funerals of like some biker funerals and shit, family friends, but never from my fucking people, my group of dudes. And, uh, me and my buddy Elmer, I just lost Elmer probably a year and a half ago to fucking basically drank himself to death. Um, that friend of mine I just visited today in San Diego that I went to high school with, we were sitting there reminiscing about days, and every fucking name we mentioned, dude, they're all dead. They're all dead. Some of them are in prison, you know, the, and, and a few of them made it out of it, and we're amongst that few. And, and uh, me and my buddy Elmer, he was like my best friend back then, my fucking my sidekick. And we're, we leave after the funeral. We go back to a friend's house. We're fucking getting drunk again we leave because we both were we worked at a um i don't know if y'all have firestones out here tire 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 company yeah we both worked at firestone and we had to be at work next day we're going down this road the same road that i grew up on and this fucking car switches lanes and clips the front of elmer's car and it's like there's like three like long hair fucking nirvana kids in there right and we're fucking and I, I was a knucklehead and a half back then. Elmer was not a fighter. I was. Elmer didn't like that shit. He didn't like confrontation, and I fucking did. Well, I fucking tell him, follow them motherfuckers, because they hit him and they took off. Well, they go into this trailer park, and this trailer park was one way in, one way out. And we follow him in there. We get out of the car, and, and I'm fucking fighting two guys. Elmer's fighting one guy. And I picked up a two-by-four, and I just exploded this dude's mouth. Fucking annihilated his mouth. Or what was left of it. Yes. Well, then, because I took it to that level, he took it to the next one, and he fucking stabbed me in the gut. Got me in the gut. Got Elmer in the spine twice. And Elmer had a maroon flight jacket on. Didn't know that he got stabbed. I didn't know I got stabbed at first. Then I'm walking around, and I realized that I got, like, like cold blood coming down my stomach. And I'm like, and Elmer's on the ground. And I'm yelling at him, dude, get up. We got to go fucking hospital. Like, they stabbed me. And, and he's yelling at me. He's like, I can't. I can't feel my legs. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't know. He has no clue that he got stabbed. I'm looking. I can't see no blood because he's got a red flight jacket on. So it looks like a red flight jacket. Yeah. <laughs> no sign of blood anywhere. And so I drag him around the fucking passenger side of this car, and and he was a heavier set guy. And I get him what I could in the car because I'm going to try to drive us to the hospital. And uh, I fucking I got him in the car, but one leg I didn't get in the car, and I didn't notice. And he didn't know because he couldn't feel his fucking legs. Well, I get in the car, and I put it in reverse, and I'm, I'm trying to back down this driveway, and I'm dragging his fucking knee down the goddamn road. Oh. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're surrounded by cops. You know, we're done. And, and they, they cut Elmer's clothes off of him. That's when they discover he's got two stab wounds in his spine. They land a helicopter at this fucking Super Kmart parking lot, and they fucking airlife us to, to uh, Bamsey Hospital in San Antonio. They cut me open. I had internal bleeding. They go in there, fix all that bullshit. And Elmer, man, I'll never fucking forget, dude. And he was... He was a drunk back then, and, and unfortunately, he, alcohol took his life. But he, uh, on that helicopter, he, he, was al- he always had 
a sense of humor that was like no other. And on the helicopter, like, you know, you can barely fucking hear. It's loud. And I hear him like, Robert. I'm like, what the fuck does he want? You know, like, we're going to the fucking hospital. We're in a helicopter, bro. I was like, what? He's like, I don't think we got to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) And I'm like, no, we probably don't. But I would rather be going to work. And then, like, I hear him again, Robert. I'm like, what? I don't think we got to go to work for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you're making the best of it. So but these dudes end up getting fucked over, I'm sure. They one of them, the dude that did the stabbing, he went to jail for like a year and a half. Um nothing real big. What about the driver? Uh the driver didn't get anything. Damn. So nothing came of Elmer's car getting hit. Mm-mm. Damn. That nope. him. Yeah, and it was the car was fucked. Did and Elmer end up getting his So car? Elmer surgically they surgically put his spine back together and he lived in a rehabilitation center, uh Warm Springs Rehabilitation Center. For nine months, I remember I would get off work and I would go and spend time there and do what I could to try to help him. Like I, I, I blame myself for a little while for that one because, and, and I still know today that if I didn't tell him to follow them in there, he would have never. He just wasn't like that, and, and I fucking was. And he told me later on in life, like he told, and his mom told me too, like, hey, shut the fuck up about that because. At the end of the day, I still am the one that fucking took the wheel of the car and turned in there, okay? Like, yeah, you were egging me on to go in there, but I could have just drove forward, and I didn't. So I'm just as guilty as you are. But for a while, like, I fucking blamed myself for that one, you know? And, and uh, I was pretty hard on myself about it. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he he learned how to walk again. Like, they told the doctors told him he wouldn't walk. And he told them, he kicked the doctor out of his room. It was funny. He said, no, dude, I'll fucking be the judge of that. And, and, like, it was weird because he wasn't ever really a strong-willed person like that. And and that was, like, he, he told him, no, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to own this. And he did. And he he always walked really weird. Um, his legs, was, we were at a party one time, and his, he was trying to explain to a fucking girl. He, he went through this stage where he thought because he was on the cane and shit that, like, I'm a pimp. He's going to get some women over this <laughs> deal, right? <laughs> And and he did like he bought the baddest cane you could buy, dude. Like pimp looking shit, and and uh, and he would like he would brag about that shit at parties, thinking he's gonna get laid. Oh yeah, stabbed twice in the spine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wants to see my scars, you know. And, and that's how he was. And we we're Hold at the my cane. We we're at this party, and I remember this fucking girl's kind of drunk, and he's telling her he's like, my legs are opposite. Like one, I can feel touch sensation, but I can't feel temperature, and the other one is exactly opposite. I can feel temperature, but not touch. And this girl's like, what do you mean? And he keeps, like, explaining it, thinking, like, he's, like, talking to this chick, right? And finally he gets annoyed because now she's annoying. And he fucking sticks his leg up on the coffee table, and he takes that cane, and he's, like, fucking wham, right on the leg. He's like, I didn't feel that. He's like, do you get it now? (laughs) And she's like, then all of a sudden the whole party, all the women fucking left. Uh, Elmer. We're like, good job, Elmer. Fuck, dude. You're rocking it over there, yeah. dude. Way to sweep that one off her <laughs> feet. <laughs> and then uh, some months later, we're fucking partying at my apartment, and he fucking wakes me up the next morning, and he's like, hey, dude, get up. I need you to come in here and look at this. I'm like, what the fuck, man? I'm like hungover. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, come in the bathroom and look at my fucking leg. I think I need to go to the hospital. We go in, and he fucking drops his fucking pants, and he's got a perfectly round third-degree burn. 
on the leg that he couldn't feel temperature in. Ugh. And I'm like, what the fuck did you do? And he's like, I don't know. I just woke up and this thing's like oozing down my fucking leg. Ugh. And so we start walking around my apartment investigating and, I, and I'm going in the kitchen and I find where he was drunk and he fucking got hungry and made ramen and didn't put it in a bowl, put the pot on his leg to eat the fucking ramen. Oh, my God. And there God. was a third-degree burn, the same shape of the pot. You know, that's how his fucking legs were. Ugh. Some forever Elmer had For, a fucking pot scar. Yes, and and he, he just never, like, I don't know, man. He, he, he got to a point where he just, if he wasn't working, he was drinking, and drinking enough that, Basically, his fucking his his kidneys or liver something shut down, uh, and they found him dead in his apartment. This was probably fucking a year and a half ago, and it was. Now I went through this phase where I was kind of hard on myself about that because I was like, man, I could have fucking done a little more to help him. That's why this last buddy of mine that's in Encino right now, like, that's why I was like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can, you know, just so that I, I don't have to like. At least whether you whether you accept it or not, I can say I tried. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I didn't feel like I tried as, as hard as I could have with Elmer. It's such a fine line, though. Yeah, and it you is. Can, like, I, my brother, he's in prison right now, and I did everything. Po- I flew him out. I put him in rehab, flew him out. I've, like, seriously flown him out from the East Coast at, like, four different cities, like, three times. Yeah. And it never took because he wasn't ready. Yeah, and ju- just like we said in the beginning, you yeah. know, it's uh, when I was in my in my worst of worst, dude, so many of my friends tried to tell me, like, dude, you're not doing good. You're not doing good. You need to do this. And I didn't listen. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to fucking listen until, until you're ready. And, and it wasn't until I was shackled to a fucking floor in a goddamn bluebird bus going to prison that I was like, maybe I need to change my fucking ways. You know? Oh, man. It, uh, so how far, along, how far away are we from that? So How much more suffering you got to go through, Robert? Um, I... I Somewhere in my like, once the punk rock skinhead shit started getting like real gangbanger ish, and man, we started getting in real big fights. People started going to hospitals. Fucking, my buddy's dad got shot, like I told you, in the ass from a drive by. Um, it is a whole fucking bunch of shit, dude. That just it just got thick, and I just kind of started gravitating away from that, and kind of always because, like I said, motorcycles were always still there, and. I don't know how, because I was so much younger than they were, but I really started hanging out with some of my parents' friends. Like, older fucking real deal biker dudes, that, and, and some of them in the, in the outlaw world. And, uh, you know, I, I just, then it, then I went back to, like, fucking partying with meth. And... <sighs> Oh, reliable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, dude, and, and, man, I just like I loved fighting, man. I loved fucking, I loved staying up for days, and I loved. It gets so weird after a couple, though. Dude, I liked it, bro. <laughs> I tell people all the time, my favorite was day four. Day four is when, like, now I'm hallucinating and shit. <laughs> and it's I don't know, dude, sticky. like, yes, I would fucking be like, yeah, what's going to happen today, you know, like. Who knows? Anything's possible. Dude, I, I liked that feeling. And and uh the uncertainty or just the chaos? Or both. I don't know. Probably both. Yeah. Um probably both. Yeah. Chaos you know, thrive in the chaos. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's weird because 
And maybe because I was doing it at a different time. Like when I see when I see meth heads these days, I'm like, man, I wasn't doing that. Like, I never had swords and shit on me. Like, I don't know where that came from. Now I I did have my own little fucking things. I did like. You can always tell when I was high. I, I always had a welding cap on, real low, <laughs> sunglasses, and that was like my fucking cape, you know? Like, that's my that's my evil Knievel cape. Oh, boy. And I'm, you know, that was when I'm in it. And, and uh, I, I don't know, man. I fucking, the, it's funny that you asked that. What was it, you know, the uncertainty or the chaos? Because. I never looked at it like that. And They're it, two different things. They are. They are. And and it was probably the combination. And and it was, you know, I ran around with, with some people that is funny because I always had ties with some with some outlaw stuff. But never did that. Never wore no patch. Um, but grew up around enough of it that I knew enough of them and and, and knew some really good fucking people in that world. And and some fucking shitheads too. Um <laughs> As but I, I hung out with some some guys that were just like I was. Like they were friends with those people, but they and they rode. And we all lived that lifestyle. Um I was fucking buying and selling stolen bikes. Um Ugh. got real heavy into that shit, dude, for a while. And and uh it was dude, it was weird because they, they, we got asked a couple times to patch up and we just didn't like, we weren't, no, I, I enjoy doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Like I, I never really been good at following the rules, I guess. And, yeah. and, uh, I just, I knew that I couldn't be a good fucking club member and, yeah. and, and still today, like I still got some friends in that world and, and I'm, I'm still grateful though that I never did that. Um, but I definitely fell into that for a little while where I was running with that crowd quite a bit. And I was selling methamphetamines. I was, uh, ha- I had some people that like were buying shit from me that were really good at fucking ganking shit. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, dude, I could put the word out of like, hey, I got somebody looking for this and they'd bring it, you know? Next Simple. Thing you know, it's just, yes. Like, Hey, it's uh, it's right there, right? And and uh, you know, there's a lot of fucking power that comes with that, and and somewhere I think maybe, you know, I think everybody kind of gets a little bit addicted to that fucking power. And, oh yeah. And dude, it was funny. I was for a short time I was living with a club dude, and he he called me and a buddy of mine because he had this fucking sport bike that was that was hot, and they you know they knew Harley's. They couldn't get this fucking sport bike started. Yeah. And me and my buddy John went over there, and we had that motherfucker started in, like, 10 minutes. And they were like, all these dudes are sitting at this fucking table, and they're like, what the fuck? Where did y'all? And, you know, these two fucking white boys come in here. And and just the simplest thing, we're like, do you have any electrical tape and a screwdriver and a hammer? And they're like, yeah. And we bam, knock out this ignition, turn these fucking things in this fucking ignition, tape it all together and fucking hit and start the bike. And they're like, we've been fucking with that for three days. Yeah. Should have called sooner. Should have called sooner, bud. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And so then it That'll was like, half gram. <laughs> and then, and then homeboys were like, well, and then, then because there I'm in this shop, right. And there's a bunch of fucking bunch of stolen Harley shit in there. And 
there's one sport bike in there. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that thing? Like, there ain't no money in stolen sport bikes. The money is in stolen Harleys. That's why they're number one on the stolen list because they're they're really the only one that you can you can for the most part make legal. You know, like buying aftermarket cases and frame. And you can make a bike and, and have a, an assembled title in Texas. I don't know about here, but it's it's really difficult here. Well, well it's not. I know. It's not in Texas, <laughs> and uh, that's why you lock your shit up. Yeah, um, they'll register anything in Texas. Yes, um, it might be registered as a suburban, but yeah. it'll be okay. If you do all of the, if you do a different frame and cases and all that, you have to go to CHP to have it inspected. I don't know if you have to do that in Texas. I've never done it to say that I know, but it's been done a whole bunch of times by some people that are way dumber than I am. So I don't think that it's that As soon hard. as I heard that, I was like, I'm not going to go to the CHP yeah. office. Yeah, that doesn't sound like Let something I want. Let me go meet trouble face-to-face and see yeah, what and happens. See, and, and may, that's see how it what, shakes out. That's another thing that makes me think that in Texas you don't have to do that. But I could be wrong. Uh, I never did that part. But but I had... I had a connection on how to get rid of that fucking stolen sport bike because I knew a dude that raced those quarter midget cars, the one with the fucking wing that's on the f- yeah. like a 45 degree angle. Well, certain classes of those cars are have, you know, some of them have V8 car motors in them and then some of them have motorcycle motors in them. Well, I knew a dude that would fucking buy as many uh, as many fucking motors as you could get to them, sport bike ones. Hot or not, he didn't give a fuck, he'd buy them all. So then I had the connection of how to get rid of the fucking sport bike shit, and they had the connections on how to get rid of the Harley shit. So it was kind of like, it was this weird unspoken thing. Like, I wouldn't share my info. He wouldn't share his info. And every once in a while, he would try to use his fucking patch to, like, try to try to strong arm me into, like, hooking him up with my guy. And I'm like, no, because then you don't need me. And and we just fucking used each other. And, and then there I was in that world of buying and selling Stolen shit and buying and selling fucking meth. Uh, hanging out with some dudes that fucking made meth. And, man, that was wild. Never and experienced that, but I've heard when you hang out with the cook, things get weird. Dude, the fucking dude that I hung out with, he uh, he had this stupid, and it was the dumbest fucking thing ever. I, I don't know how we didn't, how our hearts didn't pop. But <laughs> he had this rule that if when you were hanging out during the last process of his fucking pull, we, he would weigh out a one gram line, and you'd have to snort a one gram line. Ugh. And I fucking first time I did that, we fucking, I remember I put my helmet on, we get on our motorcycles, and we we go across town to my buddy John's house. And I remember as soon as I pull up at his shop, and I pull my helmet off, and John looks at my face and is like, "Uh, what is wrong with that dude? Like, cause it's on my face. I'm like, whoa, we're we're having a good yes, time. Yeah, I'm fucking smoked <laughs> and. Had no business probably riding a motorcycle. And that was another thing, too, like running around some of them club dudes. At that time, I was riding I was riding old Jap bikes. I wasn't riding Harleys. I didn't have Harley money back then, you know. And uh, I rode old KZ-1000s, Kawasaki's, and my shit was always faster than theirs anyways. And my dad fucking hated that, too, like growing up. When I started riding on the streets and shit with my parents, and my dad, my dad fucking hated Japanese bikes, and he's Harley dude. I remember the day that I showed him, you know, because even at a young age, I started diving into, like, the history of motorcycles, not just Harleys, but motorcycles, period. And I remember my dad was making fun of my fucking Kawasaki one time. He's like, when are you going to quit riding that Jap crap shit, you know? And and I was like, you know, Dad, your fucking Harley 
is just assembled in America. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, you, all, you, all you Harley guys always talk all that shit about it. it's made in America. And I said, really, it's assembled here, and that's it. And he didn't believe me, and I went over and showed him on the inside of his fork leg on his personal bike where it said Showa, made in Japan, on the inside of the fork leg. And my fucking dad about come unglued. <laughs> and I'm like, that's how little you know about your bike. You know, like, get off me about my bike, bro. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. And keep up. Yeah, yes. And, dude, he fucking hated when we were riding. If, I would, if I'd pass him and ride out front, he fucking hated that shit. He's just an old-school Harley guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I get it. I recently watched Shade Tree Surgeon. He occasionally does, like, these history classes on it. And he talked about the 80s through the FXR and then, like, how all of, like, the Jap brands, like, kept creating bigger and bigger displacement. But they – and then how Harley enacted, like, putting a tariff on it. and Yeah. It really – you haven't seen is really good. What is it? What is it? Uh, Shade Tree Surgeon. Have you heard of him? I have not. He's out of Florida. He loves to grab Honda Goldwings for a thousand dollars and ride them cross country. Oh, dude, I dig that. Yeah, yeah, and, and dude. You can I because of him I started looking into it. You can find Goldwings all over America for a thousand. Dude, I still today like I my main um my main market where I buy and sell is in the Harley world, but I love motorcycles. I fucking love them all. I don't I don't give a shit. Um. Our, our friend Josh, motorcycle dork. Uh, I don't know if you know him. He's he's a he's in Sacramento. Um, that dude. And there's been a few people in the last year that bought gold wings and all come from the Harley culture. But then buying gold wings and going out and having fun on them. I'm like, that's rad. Who gives yeah. a fuck? They're reliable. Just yes. change the oil. Have fucking fun. Yeah. And it doesn't leak oil. All you gotta do is change it. Yes. That's literally it. Yeah. I'm, for everything Harley Davidson is, there's a lot it's not. Oh yeah, you absolutely, I mean? absolutely. Like. I don't know. I fucking love my Harley. I couldn't imagine. Oh, me too. Couldn't imagine switching to Indian. But if they start putting out more aftermarket parts, and it's a lot easier to make it mine, they've got a better build. Dude. It's I, impossible. To, from what I hear, um, my I have a buddy, another buddy, Robert, up in Oregon, who has an Indian, and he's like, dude, they make it impossible for you to work on it yourself. There's so much shit in the way and packed in, well, which sucks. That's weird because I, we've got three or four friends that are riding them and they've done nothing but customize them and they're having fun on them. Uh, Steve Chamberlain riding one fucking Kyle from forever rad. That's doing really cool shit with Indians and dude, their, their bikes are rad looking. Um, he was doing something with the electrical and oh, it was under okay. the seat. And it's like, he said they were from the videos that he sent. It's like all compressed together. And it's because with the Harley, it's really simple. Sure. You yeah. know what I mean? Crazy easy. Yeah. Apparently with the Indian, it, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but yeah, the future looks good for them. No, they're dude. They're definitely here. They're definitely, uh, the, you know, they're definitely doing things differently. This, t- you know, I, I've been around long enough that I've seen Indian come and go, and <laughs> yeah. and uh, they're definitely doing shit differently. Um, they're out there kicking up dust for sure. How old are you when when the the buying and s- the buying and selling of not your product, <laughs> <laughs> not yours, doesn't belong to you vehicles? Uh, yeah. Uh, mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Mid, yeah. Mid twenties, early thirties too. So you're out there. Uh, just, no, uh, mid twenties third. So I turned 30 in state jail. So yeah, mid twenties. That's something I'm not great at. Like, it's funny. Cause I hear some of the, some of the guys that come on here and, and same on Jace's podcast and other podcasts. And I, I, it trips me out how some people Time remember line. fucking years and like, yeah, in, in 89, I did. I'm like, I don't, I can't do that. 
I have to judge it off like significant events. Yeah, me and then too. I can like categorize like, oh yeah, this. Thing. So yeah, like I I know that I turned thirty in state jail. So that's yeah. So it was twenty nine and below. Um, is definitely whenever I was doing that, selling stolen shit and banging one gram lines, huh? Dude, bro, when did it blow up? Um, man, I mean. Do you mean blow up as in when did it end? Uh, well, when did or it blow up in your face? Well, I guess I guess so, what, got, what led you to the bid? It, it seems like that's we're building up. Yeah. Um, so, man, where do I start with that? The uh, I definitely ran in that fucking world for for a hot minute and and uh, and gained the name in that world for a hot minute. And then in 2007, oh, damn, 2007 is when I got, that's August 12th, 2007 is my sobriety date. Damn. Yeah. Trying to, I was fucking, I had just turned 17. I had been 17 for two months. You know how many people tell me those, uh, dude, I feel, a lot of the motorcycle culture that I hang out with these days, a lot of them are younger than I am, you know, and because the culture's changed lately, like we're. Some of these young dudes, man, they're doing rad shit now, like within the motorcycle culture, and it and it trips me out too, man. I, I just talked about this the other day. Like, I've been meeting a rash of young dudes that are fucking educating real strong about the old iron. You know, like I I buy and sell within the older Harley shit and the newer Harley shit, and there's some young dudes that fucking know way more than I do, and it, and I'm like, that's cool, it's badass. Like, I like that. Keep it alive. Yes, absolutely. And they're, dude, they're, you know, because we have the internet these days where it's like, I didn't have that growing up, but I mean, I was, dude, I was getting. Sturgis 93, baby. (laughs) I was three. I had been three. Yeah. I had been three years old for two months. (laughs) I was fucking 15. Oh, my, my God. My first tattoo I got was in Sturgis, South Dakota with my dad at 15. In 93. In 93. Let's go. My dad's got the same tattoo on his forearm right here. We got tattooed together. And back then, you could sign for your kid, kid to, get to get tattooed. Tattoo. Now you can't. Yeah. Well, I don't know about different states, but in Texas, you can't. you got to be 18. Uh, but then we went to Sturgis. That was my first Sturgis trip. And, dude, I did a lot of firsts on that trip, dude. It was uh, – I bungee jumped out of a fucking crane right there and right there on by downtown Sturgis, uh, because we're driving up and my dad had a van and a trailer uh, with the fucking bike and the trailer and shit. Right, we would take the van up it when we took the family, and then sometimes they would ride there and back. But uh, I remember we're pulling in. There's a fucking there's a crane set up, and I'm like fucking yeah. My dad's like, I'll buy if you'll fucking do it. You know, like calling me. I was like, fuck whatever, bet, bro. Come yeah. on. Run that crane. Yeah, and so I bungee jumped. I got fucking tattooed by, and I got tattooed by, only only old school people will remember this name, but a guy by the name of Sailor Moses. Sailor Moses' wife still tattoos today. Um, but back then, he was hot shit. And he was set up tattooing in Sturgis, and, and I was fucking sitting there watching him. My dad was like, you want to get tattooed? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, fuck yeah. Like, I from a young age, like, I knew I was going to have a fucking bodysuit of tattoos. Like, I grew up around that. Right. I grew up going to the tattoo shop and shit like that. And, and, uh, is your dad all covered too? I'm, I'm way more covered than any of my family. Right. I mean, uh, my dad's got, covered. my dad's got, 
my dad's got some tattoos and he's got some really cool pieces. Um, when he, when he retired from the railroad, I did my whole back is, is a steam, steam engine locomotive train that I did cause he was a railroad guy. Hell yeah. Uh, and fucking the, dude, the railroad changed our lives, you know, like he was able to provide like when my mom and we moved to San Antonio, my mom never worked again. My dad was like, no, my wife won't work and, and I will be the provider. And that's exactly what he did. And, and he taught me some life values that I don't know where the fuck I'd be at today if, if I, if I hadn't been around that. And, uh, it, it uh, so yeah, you know, it's, what was yeah. Sturgis? Hold on, I gotta ask. Sturgis then and now, major differences. So I haven't been to Sturgis, and that song. I haven't been to Sturgis. Last time I was in Sturgis was in '96. God, so I've been I've been three times, and the last time was in '96. I went '93, '95, and '96. Okay, what was your experience? Because I've heard I what I got to experience over the last two years from people that are from like Rapid City and shit like that. They're like. This is like the family friendly version of what Sturgis is. It used to be off the fucking hook. It was off the hook then for sure. Um my parents would like leave leave us at the campground and shit and, and I would run around the campground and it, you know, it's funny because um I, I do think the Sturgis is on my radar for next year's trips. Um, because I want to, I do want to go back because there's a lot of shit that I didn't do because of the age that I was at. Like I really wanted to go and fucking, I wanted to be able to sneak off and party. I wanted to be able to fucking go and see titties and shit. Yeah. And that's all I cared about. But now like in my adult life, like we would, I remember when we would leave, we'd always go do fun shit. And, and I didn't care in one second about it. Like we go. I remember my dad couldn't wait to show us Mount Rushmore, and I was like, oh, that's boring. Like, can we get back to Sturgis already and mm. fucking see the havoc and the goddamn titties and shit? You know, yeah. like, that's... <laughs> I, was just, I was too young to appreciate that, and I want to go back to do that shit, and I want to go back to do the, like, all the racing, man. I want to go see the hill climbs. I want to go see the fucking... The real flat track races, the fucking Harley drag races. Like, I want to go see all that. We didn't do any of that. When you we, go see Mount Rushmore, Iron Mountain Road... Oh my god, best one of the best rides I've ever been on in my life, dude. And that's that's another fucking wild thing, is dude. Is I've I've ridden in that area, but it was I was so young that I was with my dad on his bike, and I remember some of the most beautiful fucking riding ever. But I need to go back in my adult eyes and do it again. Oh yeah, you know, like that. I it's it's calling me real strongly to go back and do all that. I want to go and. I want to go back to Yellowstone because then I was just like, this is fucking boring. Yeah. You know, I just came from Sturgis. Like, nothing's going to toss, top that. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but there was tits yes, everywhere. Right. <laughs> and I haven't seen one set of titties out here in the fucking <laughs> woods in Yellowstone. You know? Fuck. <laughs> I haven't even seen a fucking bear. This Dude, is ridiculous. Every, you know what's funny is every fucking year that was my mom's goal was to see a bear, and she never would. Uh, Jace's, Jace's uh, camp out in Oklahoma – I go every year. I didn't go the very first year, but I've been every other year since. And we always go ride the Talamina Byway uh, in Oklahoma that goes into Arkansas. Real fucking badass, windy road, and we fucking rip through that bitch. Ride all the way into Arkansas. Well, last year I was in this relationship, and this the, the girl I was with had never been on an out-of-state bike trip. So she wanted to do one and didn't want to commit to, like, a big one. So I was like, let's just go to Oklahoma. We'll go to fucking... Cave River Campground, where Jace has his, his camp out. Mm -hmm. I know the area. I know the riding. We'll go. We'll camp. We'll fucking do a little little out-of-state one, and we'll come back. 
you know, a couple days later. Well, as we're riding the Talamina Byway, we go into Arkansas, we eat at the sandwich shop. On the way back, there's a fucking bear right next to the road. And that was the first time, like, all those years of traveling, my mom was always in the car with binoculars looking for bears and never saw a bear. And I never did either. And now there's one, like, I remember riding, I'm like, what the fuck is that dog doing there? Yeah. And I got close, I was like, that ain't a fucking dog. It's a goddamn black bear. <laughs> in Oklahoma. Like, yeah. what? When I think Oklahoma, I immediately think, like, Dusty Trail. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> dude, Oklahoma's, dude, man, there's, I, I rode a couple areas there that I would have never pictured being Oklahoma. Just green, luscious. Dude, like that. beautiful. That area where Jace's fucking camp out is, mm-hmm. is fucking beautiful. Nice. And and I remember the first time going, I was like, wow, dude, this is fucking like, like we're sleeping on this d- area. You know, and there, this there's... Year, this coming year, 2024, is number seven, right? Lucky number seven. I, I, I think it burned so. in my head like that because I'm like, we're changing shit up this year. We're yeah. going to go, we're, instead of doing a bunch of shit locally, we want to do a lot of major fucking bike events. Yeah, dude. You sh- I, that River. one's a good one, bro. It yeah. really is. It's, it's, uh, I, I always enjoy that one. And it's, it's close to home for me. It's like six hours. It, and it, it's right. a day's rip. Sure, but dude, it's beautiful up there, bro. It's beautiful, and the camping's beautiful. That Adam Sandoval fucking has gone above and beyond to, like, improve those grounds every year to make it a little better each year that we've gone back there. Is it his? K, uh, Adam Sandoval owns Cave River Campground. Oh, shit, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, good, good dude. That dude's solid. Yes. I see his and, work. And he... Every year, he fucking improves a little bit of it. You know, the very first year we went, the fucking bathrooms were fucking crazy. And every bit of it's gotten better and better every year. And uh, I, I I always like that event. It's it's just, it's grown a lot of legs. And, and uh, you know, Jace does a good job of bringing, bringing the community together. And, and uh, it, I, I will always go to that event as long as it's here, for sure. Well, I mean... Last I talked to him, he said, I think it might add value to it to be numbered, but I don't know if he's still on that or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I'm like, I've got to go this year. No, and I, I heard there him. isn't a Fast Life camp out. I remember him saying that. And, yeah. That it's, means it's fucking possible that he yeah. might not. But it's, I, I, I love the way that dude thinks. Yeah. Like, and he's been nothing, and you know him a lot better than I do, but he has been nothing but fucking good to us over here, and I'm like Man, so grateful for him. Um, this yeah. is this whole setup. I literally texted him, told him I was thinking about doing it. He gave me the whole fucking skinny on it. Yeah, absolutely. He'll, he'll, dude. I, you know, just like the, we live in a weird world these days. Like, I've, I've mended so many friendships through fucking social media. It, it's weird, but it's also great. You know, uh, fucking the, uh, my buddy Jesse that I went and saw today. Like he, you know, I met him at an event, but we've kept in touch through social media. I, I've, I, I'm. The fucking Oliver from the cut rate that I went to his shop and got treated like fucking gold over there is because of social media. And I, I met Jace through social media, like through his paint work. Like I first started talking to him about his paint work. I just fucking fell in love with it. And then I very first time I was ever talking to him, I was I was working in Dallas, L- living in San Antonio. But the company I worked for, we were in Dallas doing some work. And he's like, why don't you just come over? Like if if you want to see this stuff and talk about it, just come over. And, and we hung out in his garage, fucking hit it off, and been friends ever since. And, and uh, 
you know, he dude. I, and another thing, he fucking man, him, him and Danger Dan both. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Danger Dan's podcast. He he's more of a chopper guy, but that dude travels the country on his chopper. And well, last couple years he's been traveling on a Pan America, and and that dude's been all through South America. Like that dude fucking rides. Been <laughs> been doing it, bro. Dude, and, that's uh, fucking gnarly. His shit on YouTube, man. To watch the shit he's ridden in, it's fucking next level shit. And one I'm of obsessed the, with YouTube, so I'll definitely check out. Dude, that. check him out, bro. Yeah. And, and both those dudes, I had a really good friend of mine in San Antonio that had to have a kidney transplant. Uh, dude that I grew up with back when we were fucking riding choppers and shit together, and. And partying real heavily. He used to be another one of my buddies that was right there next to me fucking snorting lines and, and fucking doing it. And he had to have a kidney transplant. And we, our little circle of friends in San Antonio wanted to, like, try to raise some money for him while he was going to be down from work. And, and getting a kidney transplant in its own is a fucking undertaking. Well, he finally found one and found a donor and all that shit. Well, once the surgery was happening, we knew he was going to be out of work for a while. Well, we were going to do this thing at a buddy of ours' bike shop. And just in our head, we were like, we want to get together like 1500 bucks to put in his fucking bank, you know, to help him with a couple bills. And I reached out to Jace and asked it if he would announce it on the podcast. In the, in the early podcast days and Danger Dan, they both fucking announced it a couple days before that we were trying to, you know, raise some money. And we put together seven grand Damn. to fucking put in his pocket and... I can't, I don't remember the number of it that was people that had fucking PayPal me money that I've never met in my life, you know, just through social media. Hey, we want to donate a couple dollars to your buddy's fucking, you know, kidney transplant thing. And dude, and I was fucking so grateful, you know, right. like, and, and community, like you dude, said before, it, it's, it's been there for me my whole life. And, and it's even now today in my sober days, like, it still it still provides for me all the fucking time, dude. And uh, I I know for a fact I could be anywhere in this fucking country and be broke down, and I could put out a post, and I, and then somebody will find me some help. And that's that's rad. Like I don't maybe just because I'm all I'm I'm only in this community. I don't know if other communities are like that, but I know this one is. Yeah, I know the one I belong to is sure. And and this one feeds my fucking soul in ways that I don't I don't know how to explain, but it does. And uh. But yeah, back to back to where my where my fucking shit blew up. Um, <laughs> back to doing meth. <laughs> back to doing meth and fucking starting houses on fire. Yes. You know? Um, you know, I did, man. I I got I got real heavy in that shit, and and uh, I got stories for days about dumb shit I did on that stuff, and and uh, it it definitely it definitely ran my life for a while. Um. Then so there was there was a fucking I got caught with a stolen Harley, a uh, stolen bagger, and I was on four years probation for that. And then I got caught with a stolen truck, and the stolen truck and it was weird, man. Leading up to this, you know, like I I know I've heard y'all talk on the show before about your fucking higher powers and shit like that, and. I always tell people, like, I just had this conversation yesterday with that buddy of mine in recovery here. Like, you know, some people, like, they go to jail and they find God or they go to jail or, or they go. There's different people that come out of their addiction in different ways. And whatever it is that works for you, fucking go with it. I don't give a shit. 
You know, if, if AA works for you, fucking do AA. If the church works for you, do the church. Do whatever. Like, I I didn't do any of that. I just, I, I did have this fucking really weird spiritual thing that happened, though. And I've had enough spiritual things happen that, that I do believe in some kind of higher power among above us. Um, you know, they also say like, if you read in the Bible that, that the, that our, our loved ones after they're, they're dead and gone, that they, they can't see us. And I've never read the Bible, so I don't fucking know, (laughs) but I think they're wrong. I, I hope so. I think they're wrong. and, And the only reason why is because man, I've still, I still talk to some people that are gone. And, and I just recently was talking to my buddy Elmer that that's, that left us. And out of nowhere, dude, I had fucking three, three close people to me try to, are now trying to change some things to get sober. And, and I don't, maybe Elmer had something to do with that. I don't fucking know. But it was weird that right after I talked to him, that two days later, I get fucking phone calls from somebody that's like, I'm fucking going to fucking rehab. And then uh, my good friend, uh, Justin Kelly, I'm, I'm not trying to put his business on the fucking streets, but love that dude to death. Uh, he owns Hang'em High Customs. Um, big name in Texas for a shop and a, and, a, and a solid motherfucker. And out of nowhere, like he sends me a picture of a fucking trash can full of, of booze bottles that are empty because he emptied them all out because he's he he's tired of, that shit having a fucking control on him. Getting what you get. Sure. Uh, right. And uh I don't know, man. I, I talk to I talk to my fucking loved ones that are gone. And somehow or another, like I get I get things answered. I get prayers answered. And and I don't like I don't know that when I I do it a lot when I'm inside this fucking helmet. Ugh. And I think and of it like Lego blocks, right? Like you have a, a pile of Legos. And when I'm riding, I'm building a perfect wall of my brain. I'm just like putting each piece where it fucking belongs and it's just building up. And I'm like, I get off the bike and I'm like, cool. All right. We rearranged that fucking mess. And now it's not all scraggly. I got a nice, neat little wall of Lego blocks. Yeah. Yeah. And it all takes place between these fucking six inches between my ears. Sure, dude. Uh, it. I do a lot of fucking talking in that helmet to myself and to my whoever's listening. And I don't know that when I pray like that I'm, I don't know that it's to the, the God that we see drawn and or to the God that they speak about in this Bible that some man put together. I don't know. I am, I'm very much a seeing as believing person, and I believe what has, my experiences have shown me. And my experiences have shown me that there is some kind of fucking higher power. Like, before I got arrested my last time in 2007, I felt it coming. I knew it was coming, and I knew that I was going to go to prison. And you would think that, you would think that if you knew that, that you would go a different direction. But I, it, it was like, I knew that it had to happen. I knew that that was written somewhere in my life that that's going to happen. I could feel it. And man, I, dude, I was doing some fucking crazy shit, dude. Like I was running around. I, you know, you we talked earlier about that that fucking. Texas ego, but with manners. And <laughs> I remember fucking helping a friend of mine collect money for fucking, not allegedly. <laughs> yeah, not allegedly. 
for said drug dealers and do we and it was the most it was the most mannerly fucking hey sir um we're here you know like you're the one behind on money and this and that and and if if you don't pay up like in a couple of weeks sorry but someone's going to show up and we're going to only take what is valuable to the to the extent of what's owed you know and nothing more nothing less and no one's going to get hurt and it was real like yes sir and no sir and like it was fucking crazy you know like i uh, i i was amongst another friend of mine where we went to go fucking kick door on a house to go collect some money where this dude's fucking duct taped up a guy and <laughs> like that's how crazy shit was getting and then for me to be going to prison for a fucking stolen motorcycle and a stolen truck only like Otter God. Man, I was like, dude, I could be going to prison for so many other worse things, dude. So many other worse. And 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 I again, like, man, you would think you would go a different direction. You would think you'd be like, oh, the writing's on the wall. It's coming. Like, I better straighten out. Straighten up. And I fucking didn't. And I remember August 12th, 2007, which so happens to be one of my fucking, one of my very best friend's birthdays. Um, I got arrested on his birthday. I was putting a battery in a stolen truck that was in a storage room that I already had sold. I had a buyer lined up for it. I needed to put a battery in the truck so I could drive it to his house the next day. And I always did my bullshit during the day, like during the daytime hours. Smart. Sure. <laughs> if you're transporting stolen motorcycles at 2 in the morning, you look like you're transporting stolen motorcycles. Yeah. No, I would put that shit in the back of a truck and fucking transport it during the day. Well, this truck still had stolen plates and shit on it. I hadn't switched those yet. But I was at a storage facility putting a battery in the truck. At, now, this was at 2 in the morning, mm -hmm. looking like a sketchy motherfucker. And this was a, a storage area where some friends of mine had a, a unit there. I actually knew a couple people that had units there. I knew a guy that had an RV in one of them and was living in the motherfucker. <laughs> we had another friend that was cooking meth in one of the other units. And we used to party there every Thursday, Thirsty Thursdays. <laughs> and it got fucking wild there because it was kind of like, kind of the outskirts of San Antonio. And so it wasn't uncommon for the cops to roll through there. And the cops numerous times would roll through there and wave at us and keep driving because they knew we weren't hurting nobody. And, and every once in a while they'd stop and bullshit with us. And, they, you know, we were kind of cool with them. And this one night, though, I had that truck. I had the ass end of it backed out of, and the and the hood was in the unit. And I was putting a battery in it, and I seen a cop drive by, and I waved at him, same way we always did, and he waved back at me. Well, he had memorized that fucking license plate, and he drove off and got around the corner where he could run that plate without me knowing. I thought he left. Next thing you know, he comes back up and blocks me in, and fucking gets out and is drawing on me, and and now I'm I look and I'm like, here it is. It's today's the day. And I I I had ten grams. I had a, a tank bag, like a motorcycle tank bag with the magnets in it. Mm -hmm. It was on the gas tank of a motorcycle of mine. Well, no, the motorcycle was at my buddy's, but I always took the tank bag with me because that tank bag would have my scale, my bullshit in it. Yeah. Like that tank bag went everywhere with me. But I left the bike at my buddy uh Buddha's house because which Buddha's dead today too. Fuck. And he basically snorted himself to death. That dude, he was 
he was huge. Hence Buddha. Huge and would fucking snort major amounts of methamphetamines and go to buffets. It blows my mind, fat tweakers. Dude, he and it was insane. Like, uh, yeah, he was a fat tweaker. Yeah. Um, but so you had your kit with you. I had my kit, and it was in the front seat of that truck because they. So Buddha had dropped me off because I was like, I need to get this truck because I got it sold. I got to meet homeboy tomorrow. So that tank bag was sitting in the in the bench seat of that truck, and I had 10 grams of cut in there. Not meth, but my cut that I would cut my meth with. And we, back then, we were, we would, uh, the dumbest dude on the face of this earth that I ever fucking met was was super good thief and super good meth cook. And he showed us how to make our cut out of MSM, which is actually a, uh, it's like a supplement for arthritis. So we would cut our dope with that where we weren't hurting nobody. If anything, we're fucking helping them. Right. You won't be so sore. Yeah. You, <laughs> you pace your living room floor for fucking 10 yeah. hours. <laughs> Joints will be lubed. Yes. And that's the way we looked at it. And, dude, you could he showed us how to cook this shit in a microwave one time and how to freeze it, and it would look just like ice. And this was now back now into the days where, like, ice is coming into the game. And, and you could... You could uh, smoke it, you could snort it, but you just couldn't shoot it, which I, we didn't really have anybody that we hung out with that ever shot meth. That wasn't amongst my circle of people. And I smoked it a few times. It was really never my jam. I love snorting it. And I've, we, we snorted what we called baby arms. Um, and you know, you know, like how people do fucking cocaine, and they'll, they'll do a big line, and then 20 minutes later they'll do a big line. Well, we did big lines and a couple hours do another one, like, we did it like you were doing cocaine, where you didn't need to do that. Yeah. But we fucking did. <laughs> and so when that cop pulls around, he fucking come, he, he comes, he's drawn on me, and I, I knew what time it was, right? Well, so then when he starts searching, he, he cuffs me, puts me in the car, and dude, and I, I, I've told this story a hundred times where it was the w- the weirdest warm feeling I've ever had in my life of being cuffed in a car. Like, I've been cuffed in a cop car a bunch of times throughout my life. And never was I comfortable. And I was comfortable because I knew that my change is here. It's it's finally here. And I knew that what was in that bag was only cut. So now I got caught with a stolen Harley before. I was on four years probation. I go to court. And the judge, they're they're trying to get me to, like, they're, they're trying to get me to admit that it was meth. And I'm like, no, you test it. Test that shit. Like, I'm not admitting the shit. It's not fucking meth. Test it. And so then I got that charge dropped. But I have three felony arrests on my record, but only two are convictions. Well, the, the, uh, the judge that I went and seen, he saw that I didn't have any GED or any high school education. Because in high school, I got kicked out at 17. My principal walked me across the street from the high school. And told me to go to work because all the thing I was doing was fighting at school and sleeping. And when he pulled me out of class, he went to go look at my book bag, and there was a pillow in my book bag. Ugh. I had no books. There was a pillow because I would go there to catch up on sleep. And so the judge saw that I had no no high school education or degree and, and uh, no GD. So he, he was going to give me an 18-month sentence. And he's like, I'll make a deal with you. 
I'll run both your charges concurrent, and I'll reduce your 18 months to one year if you'll promise me you'll go get your GED. I was like, fucking bet. Sign me up. Every time. Yes. And no get out, no probation. At at first, they wanted to take my four-year probation and change it to eight years. And I told them, no, uh uh-uh, send me. Because, again, I knew months before that my time was coming. And I knew that, I knew I was, you know, sometimes I hate to use those cliche things you hear of sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I knew that my time was there. That's the relief in the back of the cop car. Dude, it fucking it was such a weird, warm feeling, man. It, I, it it's over. It, it it reminds me of that warm feeling that you hear heroin dudes talk about, like when they shoot that fucking heroin, they get warm. Oh yeah, oh I know. I didn't ever. Uh, that's the one promise that I and it sucks to say it's the one promise that I always held to my mother successfully was she she told me I don't care what you do, don't ever touch fucking heroin, and I never have. And, and grateful for that. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate I didn't have a long, drawn-out fucking heroin addiction. Yeah, man, I've heard, like, I've heard some of y'all's guests. And and uh, I'll, I'll tell y'all what, man, like, y'all, y'all's podcast, it, and that's why I wanted to come share my story. Because maybe my story will help somebody. Y'all's podcast helps me all the time. And, what, and, and whether, sometimes I have so much in common with some of the people that are on here. And sometimes there's people on here that went deeper than I went. And their stories are way fucking stronger than mine. But hearing it and hearing how they came out of it and hearing their success stories afterwards, I mean, and some of it comes with fucking really badass laughter too, you know what I mean? Like, because of I can, fuck, I've been there. Like, and I, That's all I've, you can do. I've lived there, right, absolutely. Um, That's another thing is like, my, my story is not the most gnarly. I have tried and done a fucking metric fuck ton, but, like, Dustin. Yeah, I've heard Dustin's. Dustin got fucking rowdy in the sure. streets, and he was yeah. an IV drug user, and, like, his favorite thing to say is, like, I was a fucking walking puss pocket. Like, yeah, I've heard him say that. And fucking, but the feelings of that degradation, yeah, fucking the same. It doesn't oh, matter absolutely. what or how much I did. It says it in, in our meetings. Like, it doesn't matter what or how much you use. It's all the same, dude. Sure, you know absolutely. I mean? And it, I really appreciate you saying that it helps because it makes it fucking so much easier to come on here and keep doing the podcast. Dude, it. it uh, I remember the first time I heard one, and I was like, what the fuck? Why have I never heard of these guys before? <laughs> like, wow. Like, I Thank you. I listen to them all the time. And 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 I and somewhere, somehow, I relate to each person that's been on here. Um, And I've... I've Made a couple of friendships from it. This morning, I was talking to that dude, Alex. Uh, he told me to tell you guys hi. The dude that makes the keychains. Oh, keychain collection. Yes, yes, yeah. dude. Like Lex is the man. I right after, love that dude. right after that podcast, I reached out to him because, man, I've got like an entrepreneur brain, and dude, I'm always thinking of like different. I, I, I'm a hustler at heart, man, and I, I love hustling. I just do it now on a legal fucking way, and and his his way of thinking, like, man, I I. I relate to that. We try to, I try to talk to that dude as much as I can because he's such a positive fucking force. And like he, he is definitely, I just fucking love talking. Sure. Yeah. And, and he said the same about y'all guys. He, he was, uh, once he saw on social media that I was here, he was like, dude, yeah, you're right by my area. And I was like, well, I I know you're from that area. I I reached out to him immediately and was like picking his brain about like, 
those those laser machines and shit that he he operates and it's like man i i, I want to do whatever i can to make my own money yeah you know like that's i don't know if that's the american dream but it's my dream and you know so anyways back to so 07 you know i, I get judge makes a deal with me right so I go to state jail. I go to this fucking Bartlett State Jail in in this little bitty town in Texas that I never had even heard of. And there's literally a prison and a Dairy Queen and a bunch of fucking cornfields. And uh, I, I, before I went, I was in a jail in New Braunfels where I live now, in, in a small jail. And I, I met somebody that had just came from Bartlett, Texas, from Bartlett State Jail. And he kind of lined me out like, and I've been to county jails numerous times all over Texas throughout my fucking my, my youth. But I'd never been to fucking state jail. And so now I'm like, fuck, here we go. But I, I like I knew it was going to happen. And so this guy kind of like schooled me like, hey, when you get there, you know, it, it it is like you see on TV. It's segregated, you know, like fucking white boys hang out with the white boys and the Mexicans hang out with the Mexicans and, and the blacks with the blacks and. And somebody from your color is going to come and fucking heart check you. And uh, it's funny. I'm telling this story because I just heard. I just heard recently on Jace's podcast with Joe Kid. Joe Kid was talking about the the term hog. Like the, it, it's a term from prison. And, and when he hold, told the story, I was like, dude, I fucking got told that. Like when homeboy comes over to me, I'm, I'm, I'm making my bunk bed up, right? And uh, it was in like a big open room with 54 bunk beds and where the bunk beds can't make the corner, you know, cause it's all square. They create this area right here where the cameras can't see. And that's where the fucking fighting happens. And that's where, you know, when shit's going down, like, Hey, we're going to catch that corner. And cause that's where nobody get in trouble. And that dude in that County jail had told me that was going to happen. And so I was like, okay, cool. Whatever. You know, like I, I, I ain't afraid of fighting. Uh, whatever. Like, I'm definitely not going to let them people fucking walk on me over there. And I get there in this fucking, like, big motherfucker. <laughs> tatted up fucking head. You can tell this dude's been down a couple times. I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm going to have to fucking. I'm going to fight this I'm going to have to throat punch this dude because there ain't no way, like, he, he's going to handle me, you know. He comes over, and he's he's just kind of picking my brain, and, and, uh, and he's asking me, like, how long am I there? And. All the basic questions, and he tells me, "Okay, well, look, here's the rules. You know, this is I, where we eat. This yeah, is where we piss. exactly. Yes, and 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 I speak for the white guys. He's like that dude over there, Shadow. He speaks for the Mexicans, and then this the guy that they called six nine because he was six nine. <laughs> he speaks for the black guys, and I was like, well, what about that Asian dude over there? He's like, oh, he's fucked. <laughs> he's like, they're, they're not. A, there's not enough of them in here. Yeah, there is uh, no other car. <laughs> yeah, dude. <coughs> oh, but he's uh fucked. yeah god he uh he he asked me he says well why you're here like and he, i was tatted up you know but he, he was like uh who who do you ride with and i'm like how does this motherfucker know i ride motorcycles you know like these motherfuckers already know what I'm here for, like, before I get here. <laughs> it's this elaborate? Yes, and I'm like, uh, well, I mean, I ride with some dudes in San Antonio, Texas, but you don't, like, and ain't nobody you know. He's like, no, dude, who do you ride with? I'm like, bro, I don't ride with no clubs or nothing. That's what you're asking. I was like, I didn't know what he's asking. He's like, no, are you affiliated 
are you going to get affiliated while you're here? I'm like, no, I came here by myself. I'm going to go to school and get this GED because I promised a judge I would. And I, I'm going to fucking leave by myself. And I said, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to bring no problems, but I'm not going to take none. So if we need to catch that corner, let's do it now so I can get back to making my fucking house up. And he looked at me in the face and he said, no, I can tell you're a hog. And I can tell that you got a square jaw. And I was like, I didn't know what the fuck he meant. I don't know what you mean. I, I think the square jaw is like his way, his way, was his way of saying that, that I would fight. Right. Like, the only reason they're going to check anybody is to make sure that you're going to stand up for yourself. And because right. if you're not, then they're going to fucking, they're, they're going to run you. Yeah. Right. They're going to fucking take advantage of you. They're going to take your food and shit. Yeah. And I never knew what he meant by, I can tell you're a hog until just recently, Joe Kid was on Jace's podcast and, you know, him and his group of buddies that fucking travel the country on bikes and shit. Um, they call each other, uh, is it the, the hogs? I can't remember. I think it's the hogs. Um, and Joe said that that term came from prison. Like that's, that's their way of saying you're a hog. Like you, you can handle yourself. And I, I never, I never asked that dude what he meant. I didn't give a fuck. I just went with it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I, I got square jaw. Yeah. Like all day. <laughs> yeah. All day. That's and, me. And I, you know, it, but, and I did, I stayed out. It's funny because all my years of going to county jail, dude, I've been in fucking fights and shit in county jails. I didn't get in one fight in state jail. Wow. Not one fucking fight. I kept to myself. I went to school every day. It took me three months to get my GED. After three months, I never, ever, ever forget my fucking teacher in state jail. Mr. Stone Street was his name. <laughs> and this dude was fucking the poster child for Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, God. Teaching a GD class in a state prison. Pocket protector, high waters, fucking black socks, straight up Revenge of the Nerds. My very first day of class, I'm sitting in there, and, and, I'm, and I got a problem with, like, still today, like, in, in this new job where I'm, I'm trying to learn this CAD shit, I'm distracted real easily by, like, outside noises. Like, I'm, I'm that guy. Like, what the squirrel? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'm in that class, and there's all these fucking gangbangers in the back of the classroom, and they're talking and conducting gang business. And, and, and I'm like, man, I ain't going to fucking learn shit in here. Like, there ain't no goddamn way, you know? How, this ain't going to work. And they're, th it's like they're running the class. The bell rings. Mr. Stone Street stands up and looks, and he's like, you, 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 out of my classroom. I was like, oh, Mr. Stone Street's got fucking backbone. Let's go. He's a hog. <laughs> Square jaw motherfucker. Yeah. Let's go, Stone Street. Fuck yeah, dude. He kicked the motherfucker because he had a thing, you know, like on his, uh, like a necklace with a button where he Something hits that button, up. them dudes run in and they handle it. The you turtle know? suits come Yes. In. So he knew he, he could fucking tell them dudes whatever. He didn't give a fuck. Them, them tattooed gangbangers didn't intimidate him at all. He kicked them out. After that, he's like, all right. This is GD class, and some of you guys here want this, and some of you don't. And the ones of you that don't, I suggest you go now. And he was like, every year I go through the same shit. You guys sign up for this class because it's the only place on the farm that has fucking air conditioning, and you want to come in here and sit and get air conditioning eight hours a day. I understand. But the state pays for this, and I'm part of my job is to weed out who the fuck wants it and who don't. And I, I was tripping that fucking nerd over here was talking like this. And, like, 
okay, cool. He runs the class. Now I like it. I, I Now I'm going to learn something. Square jaw motherfucker. Dude, <laughs> I was impressed, man. I was super impressed. And and three months of, of doing schoolwork and going back to my fucking bunk bed and reading, doing the math and shit, I, I, I got my GED. And then Mr. Stone Street came to me and he says, hey, you got two choices now. You At this time, I had like seven months left. You know, it's like... People come on here that done some big prison time, and, and I I did one year. Not a big time, but it was enough for me. Right. And it was enough for me to say that, for one, I can't be a fucking father. You know, I got a, I got a son that's about to be 24. But at this time in my life, though, he was at an age where, like, I, I told myself, like, if I don't fucking do differently, my kid's going to fucking do what I'm doing. Because I did exactly what my parents were doing. And... You know, Mr. Stone Street was like, you got like seven months left and you can either go work in the laundry room and that sucks. You can go work in the kitchen and that sucks. Or you can sit in your bunk bed like these other fucking idiots and you're going to count every day and it's going to take forever. He said, or you scored really well on the math portion of the GED. And he said, that is the hardest part for me to teach because math is more one of those things that you need to do like some one-on-one time with some people. And you see what's up, what I'm up against. I spend as much time as I can with each and every one of y'all. He's like, I can send you to a two-week class. You'll be a TDC tutor. And you can be a tutor in my class. That'll be your job eight hours a day. You'll be in the AC eight hours a day. And I was like, fuck yes, sign <laughs> me up. <laughs> so, boom, I went. I got certified to be a TDC tutor. I still have the fucking paper at my house. Fucking yes, right dude, I, I fucking love it. And that was one of the things that helped me also fucking rehabilitate myself was was I remember being in there, and one of the guys I spent the most time with was this dude named David. He was, uh, if I remember right, he was like 62. He was in his 60s. He was a homeless guy from Houston, Texas. And every day we'd go to school, David, everyone was like, why the fuck is that dude always so happy? You know, he and just whistling, like singing songs, just a happy fucking dude. And so I got to spend some time with David, and, and we're, we're doing math work for the GED test. And I got to get to know him a little bit. And I'm like, one day I was like, what, what makes you so happy? We're in fucking prison. The food sucks. The bed sucks. It's hot. It, it's, yeah, it's fucking hot. <laughs> and you're happy. And he's like, dude, I was fucking homeless in Houston, Texas. I was an alcoholic. And I woke up one morning, and I was underneath this overpass. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to go rob a bank. And if I make it, I'm going to have some money to do something different with my life. And if I fucking don't, I'm going to have three shitty meals a day in a shitty bed and a shitty roof over my fucking head with no AC, but it's better than what I got fucking now. And that's when I was like, dude, if I don't fucking do something different, I could be fucking David. There was a portion in my life when I was fucking running around fucking slinging meth and shit that every one of my belongings fit in my saddlebags on a motorcycle. Like I'd, I, I stayed wherever I was never homeless, but I was right there. I was right there on the fringes of being homeless. Saddlebags aren't very big and every bit of my belongings were in saddlebags. Moving was easy. Yeah. But I mean, most would say you were homeless. If you didn't have a postal code and a fucking, yeah. you know, a place that every night without question, without tiptoeing, yeah. hiding, sneaking in. 
I would I would stay at different. I had I had I knew where I could get away with staying. Right. You know what I mean? And it, and I would go here for a little while, and I'd go here for a little while. My buddy John, really good fucking friend of mine back in San Antonio, the guy that his birthday was yesterday on my sobriety date. Every year I text him, "Happy birthday, fucker," mm-hmm. and he's like, "Happy however many gay years you've been sober." <laughs> you know, he's he's like, he's a really fucking good friend of mine that that influenced some of my my life, and he's like. He's really one of my dudes that I introduce as like a brother from another mother, truly. And, and he uh, he he used to trip out. He'd be like, and and even in our days of being fuck ups, that dude still always held down a job. That dude still always went home to his wife. He's been married to his wife. They're, they're high school sweethearts. They're like, you know, you got some friends like when you're around them, and you can see that they they truly love each other. That's my buddy John and his wife. Like, uh, I've seen him tell some of the fucking scariest bikers to fuck right off because, like, I'm not. And when it comes to my wife, that comes first. And this bullshit y'all are doing or whatever can fuck right off. <laughs> and not give a fuck. We all need a John in our lives. Dude, absolutely. And, and, and uh, he taught me some values of, like, how to be a good person, you know, like. And. and Dude, and he always used to trip out, man. He would be like, ah, "Dude, you fucking weird me out. How you can, how you can stretch twenty dollars?" And because I could, right. you know, like twenty dollars and a little bit of dope, and I'd make it. <laughs> you know, like somehow I would always fucking make some kind of, I'd make something happen where I would get a little more money to keep on going. Flip it, dude. Uh, fucking, I was flipping shit, and I, I still flip shit today. It's insane. I just do it. On a healthy note, and I don't know it. It uh, after spending that time with David in prison, and looking at his life of like, dude, that could be me if I don't fucking do something different. And my year of being locked up, I count that year as my first year of sobriety. And everybody, when I first got out, I had some people in the sobriety world tell me that I couldn't count that one because that. And I told them, no, you're wrong, because I saw a bunch of drugs in there. Oh, yeah. I saw, dude, my second day there, dude, I saw a fucking brick of weed in a footlocker. And I'm like, you didn't keister that motherfucker to get it in here. Like, you know some people. Yeah. And it, and he did. He would turn out to be this fucking high-ranking Mexican mafia dude that he became like my fucking push-up buddy. <laughs> dude, he was he was cool as fuck, man. And we would do, if, if I went in school, I would hang out in the fucking corner with this dude, Shadow, and we would do push-ups and watch TV for a little while and do push-ups and then watch TV for a little while. And he was super cool. And he reminded me of another good friend of ours from the outside world. He's another buddy of ours that's passed away now. But he was Mexican Mafia, too, and you would never, ever guess it. Like, didn't do drugs, didn't drink. He always would look at me and my friends and be like, y'all are dumb, man. That's just for making money. Like, I don't, y'all, he would get us to test his shit. Right. And and he, he would make fun of us for that shit. And he always had his shit together, like. And you, you would think he was an old farmer. Like, you, if you saw him in, in H-E-B or grocery store, I forget, I'm not in Texas. You don't have H-E-B. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, I'm gonna go, that's a farm fresh, huh? That's a food line. Yeah, H-E-B is our grocery store in yeah. Texas. But if you saw him there, you would not think that he was involved at all. And, and Shadow in prison reminded me of him. Fair, like, same thing. He had that brick of weed. He didn't fuck with none of it. He had his dudes make it up into little joints and sell it to everybody on the farm and make money. Make 
I mean, money as as in ramen suits and fucking commissary. Whams and zuzus. Yes, you know, (laughs) and and that whole experience in there, like I stayed sober the whole time in there, and there was alcohol in there. There was there was fucking heroin in there, um, meth in there, lots of weed, cigarettes, all that, And, and that that was when I, you know, there's certain things you see on TV that you're like. Oh yeah, no. That you, you don't know if is that TV or is it real? Because there was some things that happened. There. I was like, oh yeah, that's not just on TV. That is yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. Now the part that was on TV that I I felt like, you know, the fucking the gay shit that happens in there is only if you want it. Yeah. Um, and, and that shit was in there too, man. The guy that I saw in there that fought the 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 motherfucker that you did not want to fight in there was this skinny black dude that was gay as a motherfucker named TT. My dad loves this story. When I got out of prison and I had my first year of being out in the real world and being being sober, my, my parents and some friends put together this surprise party for me. And my dad was dressed up like T.T. Oh, boy. He's dressed up like a, in a prison suit. It said T.T. And, uh, and T.T., man, this motherfucker was, you could tell he grew up gay and skinny and he just wanted to be left alone, though. And everybody that was in there that, that was around him on the regular knew, just leave him alone. Give him his space and whatever. But th- it was always with the new guys. The new guys would come in, and they would see the way he would walk around, and he had this fucking lipstick shit that he made out of Kool-Aid. And yeah. they would be like, who the fuck is that? You know, like, they would point him out, and he'd be like, hey, let's catch that corner. And my bunk bed was two beds over from that corner, and I could be reading books, and I would just look over and, at least, at least once a week, that dude handled somebody. Damn. I never once saw him lose a fight. He motherfucker had, he would, he would get up on you like a fucking rabid squirrel and fuck you up. And, you know, that, that shit was like, I don't know that if you wanted in there, it was there, but the, the guards being crooked. Like I always thought that was kind of TV. No, that's not TV. That's, that's real life. You know? Hold on real quick. They just turned out the lights here. I want to text somebody and make sure they don't fucking lock us in here. Oh, that would be cool. Uh. I'm probably getting to no. a, an area where I can. You're good. I can shorten You're it good. up too. Just text him, let him know. That, so my period of time in jail, like the longest bit I ever did was nine months. And it's the same thing you said. It was enough time for me to realize this is not what I want to fucking do with my life. And every time I ever got in trouble, it was for putting my fucking hands on somebody that I had no, I like, I'm just fighting and doing drinking. Drinking and fighting always got me put in jail. And that nine months, like we did some more fighting, but there was drinking. There was drugs. Like, it was an option, and I got nine months, and I got out. And I took a fucking nine-month shit. Yeah, like, yeah. And Cinco de Mayo came about three weeks later, and we didn't have no recovery. So yeah. we went out and got shithoused yeah. and got in two fights. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, that that's part of my when, – when I tell people August 12th, you know, this, this year, yesterday, 16 years. And in that 16 years, I tell people I haven't been in handcuffs. I haven't had a fucking sip of alcohol. I haven't had a drug. And I haven't been in a fight. And those that combination of things, those are all important to me. Like, it feels weird to say, man, I'm, I'm, so, great. I'm so grateful that it's been 16 years since I've been in a fight. But, dude, that was a fucking major part of my life that, 
that uh, I feel like was was not good. You know, like I I can't, dude. We fought for this stuff. We created shit to fight about. Like, what the fuck? That that's that, that that young like fucking punk rock mentality of like anarchy and all this crazy shit. You know, like, dude. It, it I don't like to go out now sometimes because of it. Like, my going out is very like. Especially, like, doing the shows, right? I used to love to go to shows. And I'll still go to hardcore shows. But, like, a, like a thousand-person audience, I don't want to be around that many people because there's so much fucking ego going around. Like, somebody's waiting for something to happen so they can pop off. And, like, yeah. I, I know what I'm capable of, and mm-hmm. I know my first instinct is don't think, swing. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to be around that. Nope. Like, going out. Like, I used to love to go out. Like, fucking do not. Now, now I'm in a committed relationship. Things are a little bit different. Yeah, you got fucking kid yeah, well, yeah i have kids and now yeah. i just have a newborn right. but fucking like going out to the Congra- bar scene, congratulations on that man thank you, man she's that, fucking awesome yeah that was a beautiful daughter i got to got to see her in person thank you that i'm fucking stoked on her she's yeah she's of all so my first two are very were very fucking I, I wasn't around when bridget was born i didn't come around until she was like a year and a half but parker i was there for all of it and he was very very manageable Birdie is a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> she fucking like, she screams like we beat her, and yeah. she loves to do it in public. Yeah, like people are looking like, oh my god, what did they do? <laughs> like chill, kid. Damn. But aside from that, like eighteen hours out of the day, the kids chill. Six of them, yeah. psychopath. Yeah, you'll, you'll be buying a car before you know it, dude. It's <sighs> so crazy how fast it goes. Well, th- combined, we have two twelve-year-olds. So we're like. Three years away from that. Yeah. My son's fucking about to be 24. It trips me out, man. They only get more expensive. It's fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's got a fucking beard that's thicker than mine. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you sure you're my kid? What the fuck is going on? No, he looks just like me. Yeah. There ain't, there ain't no doubt, dude. He looks just <laughs> like me. Uh, his mama, you know, me and his mom split up when he was like one years old, but still today, like, she's one of my best friends. And, and, uh, she sent me a picture the other day. They're, they're in Florida visiting her grandma. And, she sent me a picture, and he's in the picture fucking flicking off the camera, and that's always been my thing, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of weirdly proud about that. <laughs> you I know? That. Yeah. Well, and, dude, dude my, it's funny because when I look at my son, dude, and I I like to think that it's because, like, I, I broke the cycle. And my son's very – his first few – Part of his years, I wasn't the best of a dad, you know. I I was off fucking partying, man, doing what we do. Yeah, and uh, and so his mom, she got married. She got married to a guy that really good dude. Um, I was friends with him, you know. He was a good stepdad to my son, and 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 I, pretty quickly, I was an adult about it, and was like, it's just what it is. Like I I didn't I didn't fucking step up to the plate and. I can't expect her to stay single for the rest of her fucking life. Uh, and uh, but he was a good dude and he was good to my kid. And but he drank, and uh, it's like my son was there for my very worst parts, and then he was there for my, you know, now sixteen years of his life I've been sober, and he was there to see that. And you know, he went through a little phase, where, and maybe he still does. I don't know. Smoke. He smokes a little weed, and. Man, I, I say it all the time, dude. I, I wish that this world was more pro-marijuana than it is alcohol. A thousand percent. Um, I, you know, even though meth was a big fucking deal in my life, alcohol, man, I ruined more shit on alcohol than I did on anything. A thousand percent. 
And it's very fucking weird to me that we live in a society that um, the fucking marijuana is not legal and and uh, and alcohol is. And you can advertise for alcohol. You can go and buy as much as you fucking want. And literally, the cause and effect of it is poisoning yourself. Yeah. Yes. And if you look, if you like research what happens to actually make you feel buzzed like it's you're poisoning your body literally if you look at the way it's made it's a fucking science project but yet some shit that grows from the fucking earth we can't that's natural right like i'm a thousand percent with that i wish i could smoke weed i can't it sends me into this anxious fucking like oh yeah like it's bad it's Uh, bad it's worse than fucking a, a mess psychosis Dude, I remember the last time, and I used to smoke weed real heavy, and then I stopped when I, like, started in the working world. And then I tried smoking a weed years later, and I'll never forget the last time I smoked weed. I was on this fucking couch, and I was by myself in a living room by myself with a TV on by myself, and I'm all the way up against the armrest on the couch to the right side. And I was not comfortable at all. And I'm, I, I could have moved. What was on TV was not good, <laughs> and I could have changed the channel. And I thought to myself a hundred fucking times that I was going to get up and get something to eat, but I didn't do that. It's every single thought that I had was a thought, not an action. And I was like, "This is not fucking fun." I was literally on the fucking armrest, like, like, like I was sitting on there with thirty other people, and and I wasn't, but I wouldn't move. It was like my fucking body didn't work, and I, I never smoked weed again. Yeah, and. and but, dude, you, you don't turn the news on and see somebody that smoked a bunch of weed and fucking accidentally ran over a fucking caravan full of a family. They might have eaten all the fucking cookies. A thousand, yep. You know, but why is it that we can fucking pour alcohol by the fucking mass numbers into people's bodies and it'd be okay? I don't get it. It's the people north of Richmond in fucking D.C. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They fucking... And that's the other thing is... uh. I heard, uh, this is a while back, but I heard a st- statistic that if they tax marijuana, they could pay off the national debt in something like five years. It's insane that they don't and fucking here's a, do that. But what's also wild is Philip Morris and all these big tobacco companies have been farming marijuana for fucking decades. Yeah. Preparing for when it is legalized, when they're ready, yeah. when they're done lobbying, then they can fucking monopolize the market. Right. And then you'll go into Seven Eleven. You can buy a pack of twenty joints. Sure, uh, I I think it I think it would make the world a little bit better. Yeah, and, and even though I I won't, it, I I I enjoy being sober. Um, being sober works for me. I, and when it's always a weird thing. Like I make a post every year whenever I uh, because it is something I celebrate. It, it is something that changed my life, and it I I feel like I celebrate it more than I celebrate my actual birthday. And people, when they congratulate me, it's always like a, it's a weird thing for me to accept that. Cause I'm like, man, I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to push my ways on you. Cause I'm not, cause I don't, do I want good for everybody? I do. But what you put in your body is what you do, man. Like I can't, I can't change you. And, and, uh, I, I, I love you the same. I've got good friends of mine that, that I've been friends with for a long time that, Still fuck with the drugs, and I love them the same. It don't matter. Yeah. Whatever. I might not be around for the whole party. Sure, right. You know I mean, I and, might leave early. And and I do, man. You know, I still, like, when I first got sober, 
I had to relearn how to do some shit. You know, they say they say alcohol is that fucking social lubricant, right? And and uh, and it is. And I had to like learn. There were so many things that I used to do that I didn't know how to do without some kind of partying, like camping, or going to the fucking river, <laughs> or something simple as going to the movies. Like I would fucking take alcohol to the movies. Um, motorcycle riding. When I first got sober, when I got out of prison, and and I. I got a job and I started getting back on my feet and started like trying to learn my groove. Um, I had a bunch of motorcycles that, and motorcycle parts and shit that my dad had kept for me while I was locked up. And, and I, I went and I got rid of all that shit. And I told myself like, nah, I'm not, I'm going to take a break from fucking motorcycling. Like I've never not been around that. And I got real. And I, that's when I learned that, no matter what I'm doing, I do have an addictive personality. Um, I don't have a very good off switch. I just have to, I have to monitor what I put that energy towards. And I have to, I have to mindfully make myself put it towards positive things. And so I got, I, I had like six motorcycles in the garage and sold all them motherfuckers. And then I started naturally, like anybody gets sober, I started fucking eating and I got fat. I was 240 pounds. My buddy James, it's in Encino right now. His son, the one that called me, was going to punch the fucking boss. Garrett. Garrett. That's a good memory. I would not remember that, remember that if I was on your end of the mic. That's that's good. That's why you're good at what you do. <laughs> um, Garrett's graduation party, his high school graduation party. I, I went, barbecue. They're, they're all drinking and partying, and I'm a sober guy. And, and James sent me some pictures the next day. And I fucking, in the pictures, I was like, what the fuck, man? I got hips. Like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, I didn't realize that I was substituting, you know. And, and of course, it, it's very known in the sober world, that, especially sober from alcohol, man. You're fucking sweet tooth. Freshman 15. Dude. Yeah. Fuck around, man. Yeah. Where's the fucking cookies at already? You yeah. know, like, and I, I got, I got, I was 240 pounds. And so then I, I fucking, bam, I got addicted to like, trying to research diet and, and fucking started bicycle riding. I started mountain bike riding. And next thing you know, my garage has got six fucking mountain bikes <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah. But having no motorcycle, um, that didn't last but about two months. And I was <laughs> like, wait a minute, man. Like, I motorcycling does do some shit to my fucking brain. You know, it, to my soul that I, I had to. So I reached out to my buddy, John. And man, I was like, hey, dude, I need fucking, I need a bike. And I'd also had a job that a buddy of mine had waiting for me when I got out of prison, a, a welding job. I always kind of had some some mechanical and welding skills. Well, that dude is one of those guys that's okay with being fucking 30 minutes late every day. And I'm not. Being late to anything in the world fucking is the one thing that makes me feel like I'm anxious. Like, I it, it'd make me drive like an asshole. Well... And I could tell that I could probably move up within this company if I could not come to work 30 minutes late every day. And so I reached out to my buddy John. I was like, dude, hey, I need my own transportation. I'm trying to get my shit together here. So he financed a fucking bike that he had to me and let me make payments on it. And next thing you know, boom, I got my own transportation. I'm riding again. Boom, I'm at work on time every day. Boom, I fucking move up the scale. Things are happening. 
I'm fucking moving and grooving. I don't I don't need you to fucking have me late every day no more. Yeah, that's the and fucking worst. Dude, yes. And then, you know, then it was like I had to tell myself, like, I, I will always enjoy this part, and I just need to learn how to do it as a sober person. And for a while, like, there were some years that I wouldn't go to bike events and shit because I didn't know how to bike event and not party. And over time, I started introducing it back, you know. And and now, you know, I've got my groove with it, and I can go anywhere to any bike event, and and everybody there that knows me, they hey, there's fucking Robert Cheek, and and but he's a sober guy, and that's and everybody's cool with it, and and I've learned how to be social again with it, and and own it. Um, it it definitely took a minute though. Like, it was weird when I was trying to like, oh, I'm not gonna motorcycle. Like what? I Fuck wonder that. it lasted two months. Yeah, no, dude, it didn't. It didn't work, dude. It sounds like you you got out of prison and just fucking hit the ground running. You got got a people career. say that all the time. Yeah, the last um, you've been you've been in the same field for the last fifteen years. Yeah, uh, so that's that's a weird story in itself. The my the mother to my son, her dad Eddie Moran. I don't know how many years of sobriety he's got now, but it's a lot. It's upper 20s. And uh, when me and her were together and had our kid, he always saw how I was. And, that, man, I wish to this day, I wish I had the letter that he wrote me. I, I think I lost it in a storage room. I, I lost a storage room full of a bunch of shit. And I had this fucking rad letter that he wrote me. And it wasn't rad then because it was like he was calling me out. Right. Like, bro, you're fucking up. Um, you're with my daughter and, and I used to be the same person. I've got years of sobriety and, and he lined out what was going to happen to my life if I kept doing what I was doing. And it sure as fuck came true. Damn. Well, when I got out of prison and, and started like, um, that buddy of mine had a welding job waiting for me and it was for a small company and, and, uh, that company ended up, we were doing a bunch of contract welding for another company. And that company I worked for went out of business. And I remember the day that my buddy, he was kind of my boss there, the guy that had the job waiting for me, my buddy Aaron Anderson, that I knew from back in the skinhead days. He had real big tattooed on his fucking stomach, NSC, our, our north side crew. Holding it down. Yeah, when he got older and, like, became a dad and stopped doing the fucking skinhead shit, he told everybody it, it stood for need some cash. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he... uh. But he had that job waiting for me, right? And he come out he come out in the shop one day. He was the one that would hand our hand us our paychecks. And he looked at me and he said, Get on your motorcycle and go to the fucking bank and cash this check now. Because the last person that cashes it, the money's not gonna be there. And I fucking brown took off on my bike. Fucking cashed my check. And this guy, Mikey, that worked with us, we called him Snickerdoodle. <laughs> he was a heavy set dude. And fucking Mikey. He comes back in real soft-spoken, kind of man of very few words. He was younger than all of us, though. He backs his truck in the shop. He goes over, and he gets this overhead crane in the shop. And he runs it over, and he picks up this big Miller welding machine, rigs up the top of it, lifts it up, puts it in the back of his truck. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing, Mikey? And he goes over to the owner, and he goes, well, my fucking money's in the goddamn bank. You'll get your welding machine back. <laughs> and I was like damn dude like not something you would ever expect out of this man 
And everybody's just watching this happen. I love that. He still has that welding machine today because the money was never there. Correct. Yeah. Like, and, and, and do like, I'm into that. Like, Hey bro. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you, you do wrong by people then you got to pay some way somehow. Yeah. Um, that's just right is right. And, and, uh, <laughs> but it, it fucking threw me for a loop, you know, Old snickerdoodle snickerdoodle fucking got one over on him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I still keep in touch with him once in a while. Every, about every three years or so, I'll hear from Mikey, and I'll ask, you still got that welding machine? Yep. Yeah. But, uh, there. so, when they shut down, um, that company we were doing all the contract welding work for, because we knew we were building these handrails in, like, these big sections that were going to the Riverwalk in San Antonio. Big tourist attraction. They were adding two miles to that Riverwalk. Well... They knew that we knew the work. So that company reached out to us and hired us. And, and this was still like in the beginning of my, you know, I'm, I'd only been out of prison for a little over a year at this time. And I was still like on the fringes of like, God damn, like what am I going to do? I'm a fucking convicted felon. I know how to make money fucking illegally and I don't want to do that, you know? Well, they fucking reached out to me like two days after we got, word that the company shut down. I was like, fuck yeah, I'll come work. Like, yes. So I go there and sure enough, my boss there, tweaker, about three, three meth teeth in his head would call in about two days a week. And every time he would call in, it was always some bullshit that he was going to the dentist. <laughs> like, bro, you ain't going to the dentist. We know that. We know. Everybody knows. <laughs> well, finally, one of the bosses comes out in the yard because I was always to work early every day. Comes out to my truck, and he's like, hey, homeboy's going to the dentist again, and we ain't having it. We're firing him, and we need somebody to run these welders. And you're the only one that fucking comes to work on time. Do you want the position? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, sure. So, and now I'm like, dude, but there's other guys that have been here longer than I have. I feel like maybe, yeah, but they don't come to work on time. Fuck them. Okay, cool. So, boom, I, I move up. Now I got a company truck. I've got uh, five welders underneath me, and I'm, I'm running the job. Well, in that time, I go pick up my son from his mom's house, and Eddie Moran's there, that guy that sent me that letter years before, her, her dad. And at one point before he retired, he was known to be one of the best, best pipe fitters in South Texas. Wrote his own pipe fitters book. Um, he ran the school. Like after he did so many years of service out in the field, he went and ran the school that we go to. And when I walked in the door to get my son, Eddie said that he saw my face and he was like, oh, that's a fucking different Robert. That's a different man than I Because he hadn't seen me for some years. And he went, there were some years where him and his wife did not like me. Of course. And they had every right to. And, uh, and, and he immediately was like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a different man. And it took a little while for his wife to come around. She was still, you know. Some she, women like to hold on to shit. Well, she, she had reason to, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so he, that day, he looks at me and he says, what are you doing for a living? I was like, I'm welding for HB Zachary, which is a big company. And I said, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. I just moved up. You know, I got a company truck and some welders underneath me. And he's like. Man, if you ever want something with the future, because one of these days you're going to get laid off from that. Because he he always worked construction. I was like, oh, I'm not getting laid off. I just got moved up. What are you fucking talking about? Right. And he handed me his business card, and his business card was Local 142, Plumbers and Pipe Fitters, 
uh, training director of the school. And it kind of went in one ear and out the other, and I put it in the center console of my truck. And I took my son. We spent the weekend together. I dropped him off. Fucking couple months later, when they start putting water in the new section of this river walk where we had been doing all this work at, the job's ending, and my big boss at the company comes over, and he says, hey, pick out one guy to stay here with you to do the punch list, and everybody else is getting laid off. Job's over. You know, that's that happens in the construction world. And so I picked the guy that comes work on time every day. And he was a young guy. And the, that punch list was supposed to be like three weeks. And it turned into three months. Because the river authority kept adding all these little stupid shit. And, and sometimes, some days my boss would be like, hey, y'all go park your truck somewhere and hide out for the day. You know, like it just strung on. Well, after that three months, they came to me and they were like, look, we want to keep you. Um, we have a big job going on in Odessa, Texas, which is far east. Oil rigs. Yes. Well, they were doing some bridge work. Okay. And they were like, we want you to go out there and run some work, but it's a long-term job and probably would be best if you moved there. And I was like, no. My son's here. I've already had some years where I was not a part of his life, and I'm, I can't do that. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Well, then the, the gig is up. You know, here's your layoff. And if we get some other work come this direction, we'll, we'll get with you. And I got in my truck, and I was fucking like, God damn it. I'm fucking, I didn't, it blindsided me. And I was scared. And I already was like, whose numbers do I have? Like, where can I fucking, I need to find, I need, now I got an, now I got an apartment and I got shit that I need to pay for. and Like, I need to make money and I don't know what to do. And I remembered that business card sitting in my fucking center console. And I looked up the address and I fucking Google got, mapped my yes, way there, right? Google mapped my ass over there and. I went straight from that yard where I got laid off right to the parking lot of that fucking school. And I, I went in there, and I asked for Eddie, Eddie Moran, and he came out. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, man, I just got laid off, just like you said I was going to. And I didn't know I was going to. And I said, no, I'm, I'm scared, and I, I need a job. I, I know how to make money illegally, and I don't want to do that. And he's like, all right. Um, well, here, we got a packet you got to fill out. And because you've got a, a record, you're going to have to do a little more work than most people. And he gives me this packet, and he's like, and you need to come back with your birth certificate. You need to go to the counties where you got your felonies, and you need to get what they call a judgment, showing that you don't owe nothing, you know, you're clean and done, and showing that you have non-aggravated charges. And bring me your GED stuff, and we'll get you signed up, and we'll get you to work. And I said, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. And he said, no, there's no way. Like, you got a lot to do. Come back in a week or whatever. I said, no, I'll be back tomorrow. And I went and I filled my truck up. I went to Bernie, which is a little outskirts town where my parents lived, got my birth certificate. I went to Austin, um, got my copies of judgment paperwork there. I went to Seguin, Texas, got paperwork there for my court shit. New Braunfels, Texas. I went home and I filled out paperwork till midnight. And I was in the parking lot when Eddie Moran pulled up the next day before he came to work, I was there. <laughs> Slept for a couple hours. He gets out of his truck. He's like, the fuck are you doing here? I was like, I'm, I'm telling you, bro, I need help. Um, here's my packet. And he's like, all right. Okay. He goes, well, you got some fab shop experience, and I think I know a, a place that I can place you. And because we're union, like, our hall places you where you work. Like, you don't go seek out jobs. Yeah. You know, they do it all. 
You're on the books, they call you. Sure. Well, he's like, I think I know where you'll be a good fit. Um, but you got to give me a couple days because I, I do know they're hiring and they're looking for apprentices. So give me a couple days and I'll I'll get with you. And I'm like, okay, please hurry because I don't I don't have a couple days. Like I just could feel like my brain wasn't I, I wasn't ready yet to like accept that I could I could move on without the fucking the outlaw world of living the way I was. And I don't mean outlaw is in patched outlaw. I mean outlaw is in like fringe society. Sure. Selling drugs and fucking stolen goods. Um I got my truck and I remember I had a flip phone. I got my truck and as I'd left out of there, there's a, a water park place right by that school called Splashtown back then. It's gone now, but as soon as I got, I was passing in front of there, my phone rang, and I answered, and it was Eddie. And Eddie said, okay, I found you a job. You're going to go to that, that fab shop. It, it's a company called Brandt, which is a company I just started working for again last week, two weeks ago. He says, you're going to go in there. You're going to talk to a guy named Tom Gould. Um, um, he wants to see you on Wednesday. I said, well, you call him back, and you tell him I'm coming right now. And he's like, no, go on Wednesday. I was like, nope. I'm going right fucking now. <laughs> He's like, whatever, and hung up. And I went, and I drove to that company. I Google Maps my ass over there. I walked in the front door of this fucking huge company. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, what I was getting into. And I would go to the front desk lady. I'm like, ma'am, um, I'm looking for Tom Gould. And she says, okay, well, let me call him. Tom Gould comes walking around the corner fucking half hour later. He's like, yes, sir. I'm like, I'm Robert Cheek, and I was told to come report to you on Wednesday. And I said, well, I'm here today because I need a job. He was like, well, all right. Fuck, I can't be mad at that. He's like, let me show you a tour of the shop. And I go out in the shop, and there's these overhead cranes uh, fucking carrying big piping fabrications, like intimidating shit. And I'm like, and he's like, so you got some welding skills, and now I feel like I'm crawfishing. I'm like, I mean, I know how to weld, but I can't weld this fucking shit. These dudes, I mean, very intimidating piping fabrication shop. Huge. To me at the time. Now it seems like fucking small shit. And that's where James Brooks was, my buddy that's in Encino right now. And uh, it, it was, he was like, okay, can, you, you can start. Um, he, he, did, he didn't let me start until the following Monday, so I did have a week off. And it was funny, I fucking, I walk in that fab shop, and he didn't tell me. He started me on a day where he started vacation. Oh, great. Yeah, thanks, fuckball. Like, <laughs> nobody in this building knows what to do with me. Yeah. Uh, go over yes, there. Yes, yes. So, for a full week, I was like, and, and finally, you know, I got a groove. And, and immediately, I saw in the trade where they were hurting for people. And I was like, I'm fucking going to follow that. Because they, they did a welding process, and they're called spray arc welding. And spray arc welding is kind of a, it's not very common, but it's for, for production. And I could tell that every time we got busy, if they would call the hall looking for spray arc welders, they weren't available. So I, because of James Brooks, I'm like, man, I want to learn that. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be just sitting on the fucking sidelines. I got a felony record, so I need to set myself aside from all these other people that try to get into this school. Because you have to apply to get in the school, and you have to get accepted. you got to go through these interviews and shit. And I went in this fucking interview with, for one, the fact that I was a felon. They wouldn't let me get what they call your plumber's apprentice card. You have to get it through the state of Texas. I had to go to a meeting 
in Austin, Texas with like these big wig fucking city council people that was more intimidating than collecting money for outlaws <laughs> back in the day for me. Like these people were intimidating and I had to plead my case of like what I used to do and where I got rehabilitated and what I'm doing with my life today. To, and they gave me my card and I presented this super fucking impressive like, look, these are all the classes I did when I was in prison. This is what I've done. I've already got my welding certifications because James spent time with me, and I got welding certifications before that fucking meeting to show, like, motherfucker, I'm not here fucking around. I'm here to stay. And so, yeah, I hit the ground running, and I fucking I put my addictive energy towards building a fucking career for myself. And... In my fourth year of my apprenticeship, going through that school, our school's five years. So I would work eight hours a day, and I'd go to school two nights a week for four hours a night. You did that for five years, nine months out of a year. And uh, in my fourth year of my apprenticeship, the fucking school approached me and said, hey, um, we see your drive, and we would like for you to teach a welding class here whenever you get done with your fifth year. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, do you know who I am? This four years. I've been out of prison for four years. Right. And I never in my life pictured myself as a teacher of anything. <laughs> like, I might be able to teach you how to fucking steal a motorcycle. I, I barely taught David math, all right? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. But they, dude, they approached me, and and uh, and they saw something in me that I didn't see. And, and uh, sent me to some classes in fucking Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan, to go, like, learn how to be a teacher. And I fucking taught a welding class there for six years. And uh, that was a fucking rad experience in itself. Uh, and then I stopped doing it. it a lot, Lots of people that teach there kind of go and teach for, like, some time. And then, you know, because it is it is a lot. Yeah, You work eight hours a day and go fucking teach two nights a week. It, it becomes a lot. And, and then, you know, after a certain... It's, it's kind of like passing the torch of, like, here, let somebody else teach for a little while. And and, and some guys teach their long term. But I, I gave them six years, and it was a fucking rad experience. It was uh, checking the box. Dude, I was good at it. Like, I'm not the best welder out there, but I was good at teaching it. I was good at putting it into words. And it was funny because I, I put it into words the same way that James Brooks put it in words to me. You know, there's a lot of technical shit to welding if – but you can also dumb it down. And, and and when I was learning, I told James a bunch of times, dumb it down. I don't need to hear shit about in the book. Tell me how to fucking weld, you know? And like, and, and I did the same thing to my students. And I, I still, um, I had a student recently just bought some motorcycle parts from me. He's a journeyman out there welding for a living. And he fucking, he's building a bike. He bought some parts from me. And he was like, man, I really want to fucking let you know that what you taught me fucking changed my life. And that was like, I I never had nobody tell me that. Like, I didn't think that was in me to change anyone's life. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a good experience. And it sounds like in, in, in the last 16 years, this unseen potential has just fucking manifested in your life. And all you had to do was just fucking put down the drugs and alcohol for a second. Dude, it is, and I I tell people that all the time, man. It's it's amazing, and I hear I hear all these people that come on here that tell the same story of once they got away from that, you don't even have to try to be great. 
it just happens. It does. It, it fucking just fucking does. happens. And for for those people that are out there in this world that, that walk this earth and think that there really is no kind of higher power is weird to me. Or or it's unfortunate for them they haven't had the experiences to to prove to them that there there is something. I mean, dude, it, I have shit happen all the fucking time. But I put myself in the right areas. I nowadays it's real easy like I've got a real good fucking buddy of mine that I grew up with in New Braunfels and he he ran with me in the fucking punk rock skinhead days and and he still he still drinks and parties a little bit and he still loves to go to shows and he 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 always asked me to go to shows with him and I'm like you like I just don't that shit don't do it for me no more. Every once in a while though like because I love him I, I'll let him talk me into going to one. And uh the last one I went to there's a there's a local band uh Texas local band called Skate Nicks. Um, still one of my favorite fucking bands. Like, you know, some music speaks to you. And it's funny, when I was young, like, music spoke to me a lot. And nowadays it doesn't as much. Um, like, I, I drive around in my vehicle, listen to silence a lot. Um, it's weird that, it's same with being in a helmet. Like, I listen to fucking silence. Listen to road noise. <laughs> yeah, well, every once in a while, he'll talk me into going to show. And fucking about two years ago, he talked me into going to skate nigs. And I was like, man... Fuck, dude, I don't want to do this, but I did. It was, it was. Uh, I think if I remember right, it was his birthday or some shit, and I went. Sure enough, here comes fucking some dude in a pit, fucking sloshes beer all over my girlfriend's face, and I'm like, I visually see in my head of me fucking slamming his head on the fucking table that runs right by him, and I and I went over and I grab him by the fucking neck and I put his head right on the table, and I and I could tell that he's so drunk that he ain't gonna fight me back, and I look over at his buddy and I'm like. Today's his fucking lucky day because I'm leaving. And to to this day, I can still, like, even at bike events, if something gets real dumb, I just remove myself. I'm out. I just remove myself, and it's so much easier than, like, in the past, I would have put myself right in the middle of it. Same with, like, I used to fucking battle with road rage real bad. Yeah? Dude. Fuck you, bitch. Pull right over <laughs> in the parking lot and pull right the fuck over. And that, oof, I used to road rage bad. And then when I got fucking stabbed because of a road rage incident, and especially in Texas, man, you know, t- fucking Texas, dude. Everybody got a gun. Everybody got a gun. <laughs> we ain't gonna fight. Not me, though. I ain't got a gun. I'm a felon. I can't. Uh, My gun's got to stay at home. Yeah. And, uh, it, dude, nowadays I have this this thing that I do. And it, I, it used to drive me up the fucking wall for somebody to fucking tailgate me. Mm. I don't know why, man. It would fucking, ugh, it would irk me. And nowadays, if someone's tailgating me, I tell myself that that dude's probably a doctor, and there's some kid that needs his help, and he's in a hurry. And I get over in the next lane, and I let him pass me. And it's it's funny because I. If you fucking feed into that road rage and you fucking look over at them, as soon as you make that eye contact and now they eye contact you back, it's on. Yeah. And I will not allow myself to look at them. And sometimes you'll get one that's like trying to drive right next to you and get a reaction out of you. And I won't, I won't, I won't look, I won't break. I'll just look forward and I'll be like, he's a doctor. He's going to help someone. I always say, man, they must have to take a shit real bad. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to take a big old dump. Yeah. Whatever it is that works, do it. And that's what, and I, and it, it makes me laugh 
in a dumb little kid way for me to think that he's a doctor. <laughs> and he's going to help somebody. And then after, when you won't give them any kind of fucking eye contact, they'll finally drive off, and it's like, two minutes later, I'm okay. But if I fucking feed into that and I look at them... All day long. All day I'm pissed. Yep. And, and dude, it, it you're truly in control of whether you have a bad day or not. Do we all have, like, days where, like, oh, I went to go to work, my fucking... My tire's flat. Sure, that happens to everybody. But goddamn it, it's up to you to decide whether or not that's going to affect your fucking day or not. And and I just have learned how to, like, you know, just channel my shit in different areas, man. And, and channel it towards positive shit and not negative shit. And my, my fucking life, dude, my life's good. And I have good shit happen to me all the time. And I do my best to, everybody in the community, the motorcycle community will tell you that, that I do what I can to help people. And I do that because, not because I, I want, I, I want other people to help me, but God damn it, there's, there's this fucking table, dude, and we all eat from it. And there's enough for us to all eat, but you got to be able to put back on it too. And, and yeah, you don't know when you're going to be on the other side of that and need help. I recently, five, maybe six months ago, five months ago, whatever, went through a fucking separation of a relationship that I didn't, I didn't know was going to end. It ended, it kind of blindsided me. After I had sold my house, all my shit in San Antonio, and I fucking moved to Leander, Texas, split a shop with a, a friend of mine that has a motorcycle business, and we were fucking rocking and rolling. And the next thing you know, my relationship ends. They, she blindsides me. And, man, all of a sudden, I needed help. I needed to find somewhere to fucking live. And here I am, 45 years old. And because of the community, dude, I fucking fell on my feet quick. And and the community gave back to me because I give to it. And But you got to fucking do that, man. And if you're not out there fucking helping people. You're missing that. You're missing the it, The biggest man. gift of life. Absolutely. Bro, we've been rocking for three hours. Yeah. I am absolutely so glad you reached out and asked if what we were doing in August, because you were taking a 16-year trip, and I'm so grateful you came onto the show. This has been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we're at a perfect spot to wrap. And I appreciate you. Dude, thank you so much, Robert. You fucking slaughtered this. Where can people find you on Instagram? Do you uh, your parts page have a page yet? I've only got one page, and it's my last name is Cheek, Robert Cheek. Everybody always says Cheeks, but I'm only half an ass. <laughs> I'm not a full ass. Come on. But uh, Cheek Thrills, not Cheap Thrills, Cheek Thrills. It's kind of my joke of uh, an Instagram name. But um, it will probably be changing once I get my LLC. Like I said, I promised some people that that's coming, and I promised some important people in my life that that's coming, so it needs to happen, and and uh, I don't know that I'll... We can get on LegalZoom right now. Yeah, well, we can. I'll show you. And uh, it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace my fucking my sober shit because I enjoy it because that's what works for me. And I don't know if it's going to work for everybody else, but being sober works for me. And uh, my, my business name will, will be Dry County Moto. Damn. Y'all uh, you, you heard it first right here. Dry County Moto. Be on the lookout for that. Yes, sir. It's coming. Thank you again, man. Spend another thank, episode. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you for what you guys do to the community. Trying, man.
been another episode of the LFG 1904 show. Damn.